Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It's the 10th of June, year of our Lord, 2020. Welcome back to the show. Going to do a little bit different of a show today. Uh, Only going to hit, like, three subjects, really. I mean, we're going to go through some front stuff, a little bit of news catch-up, some pandering, and everything is racist. Uh, Fucking defund the police, that's a thing. And some media bias, but I kind of, you know, I've been doing a lot of conversating with people, and let's be honest, um, we are living in very weird times. It's almost post-truth. Forever it was truth was so important, and we must have the truth, but we don't live in the truth, and you know, the simple explanation explanations that you know already are in our show today. Well, let's listen to it first. This is literally the media, and, and we have other stories on this today. But we, and we covered some other podcast about how they've whipped up scientists, experts that it really. Is horrible to go to a church because you sing, thus you exhale a bunch of aerosols. But being in a huge crowd of 10,000 people screaming, fuck the police, kill the police, Black Lives Matter, hands up, don't shoot, does not. And this was the latest soundbite that uh, came out yesterday. Troubling new signs tonight about coronavirus in some areas that reopened early. Hospitalizations are way up, a more serious indicator than the number of cases. And today, Dr. Anthony Fauci called COVID-19 his worst nightmare, saying it's not over yet. We get more from NBC's Gotti Schwartz. Tonight, a dramatic rise in coronavirus hospitalizations in some states among the first to reopen. In Arizona, the state urging hospitals to keep emergency plans activated after seeing COVID-19 cases more than double. Health officials now saying 8 out of 10 hospital beds are being used and warning they could hit full hospital capacity in a matter of weeks. We probably knew what would happen by reopening too early on May 15th because the virus is going to do what it does. And here we are. This may not be a spike. This may be the new normal in terms of we get a vaccine. Texas seeing a record-breaking number of hospitalizations, even as the governor moves to reopen bars, restaurants, and amusement parks to 50% capacity. We need to really be um, socially responsible when we go outside, socially distance. You know, I think there's evidence that we're not doing that. 21 states in Puerto Rico registering a rise in COVID, and 14 states, including Arizona, have seen their highest seven-day average growth since the pandemic began. The governor here lifting that stay-at-home order on May 15th. People gathering in large groups again at bars and restaurants. You know, right now we're fine. But if we continue at a, at, at a rate like this, 
we're facing a significant chance that we're going to have to shut down the state again. FEMA saying community transmission is the highest driver of growth in nearly two-thirds of the hotspots in 31 states. But none of those latest numbers take into consideration what effect large crowds and protests around the country are going to have on the spread of the virus. Reopening. Massive protests, people all over the place, sweating. I don't even know how many articles I've read that it's the CS that's giving people. Yet, one month ago, it was racist to go out and say, hey, the lockdown's stupid, my county, my city doesn't have enough cases to be closed anymore. Don't even get me started on, you're not supposed to wear a mask, then you are supposed to wear a mask, but masks really don't stop anything. Then we have George Floyd himself. Now, I've stayed really neutral on the George Floyd. I didn't want to really go into who the guy was. But two cases back-to-back have really irked me. George Floyd was a seasoned criminal. George Floyd had fentanyl and methamphetamine in his system. If he was a white guy and the cops had abused him, we wouldn't even be talking about this. We'd say he probably OD'd on it, and that's what gave him a heart attack. Being tussled, getting worked up, and then he had a heart attack and died. But it was most likely the fentanyl and the meth, which means he smoked it or shot up fentanyl. Meth probably laced with fentanyl while he was trying to float bogus money that he knew was bogus. Then we have the old man that got pushed down by Buffalo. And why I call this post-truth is it could be both truthful. The police abused George Floyd because what the man did was wrong. And George Floyd wasn't a saint who deserves three memorials, a gold casket pulled in a hearse, like he's a, a head of state, and that the old man that got pushed by Buffalo is a career instigator who's a professional protester who was messing with the police and touching them, thus they pushed him back. It was being filmed to incite more fervor, and he took a fall and fucked up and landed on his head. Because that push wasn't hard enough to make him hit his head. And in a true society, both can be true. But we don't live in a post-truth. Or we don't live in a truthful society. We live in a post-truth. Truth doesn't matter anymore. The whole COVID, me and my wife were talking about it yesterday, all the media and the experts and all the liberals have done is made the next pandemic nobody's going to believe you they literally say on tv we could have had up to 60 million cases well we had 60 million cases of h1n1 folks Twenty-five thousand people died the year that obama was president we didn't shut down the world None of it's been true. 
All these riots, all the Black Lives Matter, all the organizations, all the media, everything we'll cover on this podcast, none of it talks about fact that there is no systemic racism against black people. Black people just happen to be the people that are committing all the crime. 85 people were shot in Chicago over the weekend last weekend. 85. Black on black. All the statistics we put out, there was 385 white people, 19 unarmed, and 230 black people, 9 people unarmed. None of that's ever been put out. The majority of the police forces in urban areas have been become black because you said that's what you wanted. But the worst post-truth is defund the police. We'll see on this show that we literally will say defund the police doesn't mean get rid of police and oh, we need to back off this. I mean, things that are being done are being done in a way that are so untruthful, the media knows it's untruthful. Now, does this excuse Trump from tweeting about the old guy in Buffalo, which was a huge thing yesterday? No, he shouldn't have. Does it excuse the cops who do abuse people in custody? No. Does it mean George Floyd deserved to die? No. Does it mean the white man that's a professional protester who's an instigator who has been caught trying to get police frequency with devices so they can fuck with the police should have been pushed? No. But both are true. In a truthful society that we usually get for when conservative leaders die... How many butts was there with Reagan? How many butts was there with H.W. Bush? There's been no butts with George Floyd. Reagan, during the week that we put him in state with the guard and mourned his loss, by the end of that week, he was giving gay people AIDS and refused to fund it at all. So bad I had to research it and find out that he did fund AIDS. The federal government was working on it. It just wasn't, we drop everything and save the gays. It was political fodder that the left used, and they still use. H.W. was a goddamn war protester. George Floyd was a perfect human being who did nothing. A gentle giant. That's post-truth, folks. The very same media that will sit here and shove all this shit down our neck and drink the blue Kool-Aid, they never do that for a conservative. They don't even... I have a soundbite today that they are discrediting the cops being attacked and shot. They don't even talk about it. It's... Uh, it, it, well, it just happens. 97 cops have already died this year. Granted, not all of them were line of duty. 23 were covid Traffic accidents, accidents, shootings. There hasn't been 97 protesters killed this year. But the key point I wanted to make is how can you fix your face to literally shove the COVID down America's neck? Say one month protesting is going to kill grandma and the next month... 
this doesn't cause people to get COVID. It's actually the states that reopened early and run articles Republicans pounce, as Politico did, WAPO did, New York Times did. I mean, you rush out all these expert scientists who say that, oh, no, it's the tear gas. It's not a 1,000 people standing out in the heat, sweating, screaming, most of them unmasked, screaming, yelling, expelling all sorts of aerosols. But in the same states these are happening, you can't go to church because you sing. And I think that's the most disgusting thing about all of it. Both can be true. And a society that believes in truth and a media that wants to put out the facts. I mean, democracy dies in the dark. Facts first. We've seen all the mottos. This week, we put out propaganda and we gave awards in our This Is America that literally for fake stories. Pelosi's clap. That was an award in our journalism. It may be tiresome that I play whole sound bites, but I don't want to parse the words. I'm going to give all the words. In the context they were said. But we have to get to a point where we go back to being adults. George Floyd was a thug who the biggest contributor to his death was fentanyl-laced methamphetamine. Not a policeman putting his knee on his neck. Doesn't excuse what the policeman did. He still should be reprimanded. But he didn't kill that man. How do I know that? Because if George Floyd was white, we would never have heard about it. And that is truth. Here are some of the flyers that came out this week that are being ignored. Republicans created slavery 400 years ago against the rule of law and must be stopped for the final time. How many more must be killed by bloody hands of Republicans. They even started a civil war to keep slavery. UNICEF reports that Trump's climate denier in big oil will kill 40 million at-risk people next year alone. Imagine how bright the world will be when all 50 million Republicans are eliminated. We cannot do it one night, and police around the country are prepped to support us. Republicans started all three world wars. Republicans collided with Hitler and Nazis to kill 16 million Jews. And it was Republicans that dropped an atomic bomb on Japan, Vietnam, and Korea. Your city is next. Post-truth. People believe this shit. Republicans founded the KKK and murdered millions of innocent black men, women, and children. And David Duke, Donald Trump, Adolf Hitler. Republicans are denying us basic rights and free speech. Abortion rights are the cornerstones of our democracy and must be defended at all costs. Our body is ours, not some dried-up old white man to decide. All white racists must be aborted. Fascist Republicans sit and do nothing while real President Hillary is forced in exile. Fascist Republicans must be allowed to live. 
Help us stop them. Burn their house. Get in their face. Tell them they aren't welcome anywhere. Use their yard as a trash dump. Find out where they work and file a complaint. Get them fired. Round them up and burn them where they sleep. Kill their offsprings so they can't multiply. Save the planet. Republican point of view, speech and thought are crimes against humanity and we must silence these criminals from the world to survive Republican thought. We must criminalize, prosecute, and eliminate. And we have the country's sheriffs of Colorado with us. They personally assured Antifa Colorado they will shield everyone from prosecution if they get caught killing Republicans. It's true. The sheriff will protect us, and just the same as our brothers and sisters from Mexico. And once the police are on our side, yay, no arrest. The people's new constitution guarantees everybody's paradise and equality for all. Free health care, free education, free food and solar energy, guaranteed basic income, guaranteed job, guaranteed housing, no borders. Yes, no borders, no walls in the USA at all. So listen to your true leaders, plus the doctors, nurses, police, and school teachers, and embrace our task, and together we can do it. We must save humanity. Act now before a Republican kills your whole family. Remember, doing nothing means you are just like them, and we'll know who you are. We, where you are and when you are, voter rolls. Endorsed by the Colorado Education Association, Colorado Democratic Party, Colorado Wins, La Familia Latina Unida, CARA, Color of Change, Center for Media and Democracy, County Sheriff's of Colorado, Antifa Colorado, Mi Familia Vota, Undas Open Society, BLM, your neighbors and everybody else. So join us or die. That's all over Colorado. In New York, dear white neighbor, have you been working on dismantling white supremacy? Have you donated money, protested, support black businesses, talked to white people about racism, read books about white privilege and institutionalized racism, made a pledge to only support companies that support black lives, stood up for black people? If not, get the fuck out of Flatbush. Black Lives Matter. As stated, 85 people shot. In Chicago, 27 died. This was online and then scrubbed from online by social media. I happened to capture it before it was. Here's a city council meeting. We can't expect our police, and I don't fault them at all, to be able to control this. But I know that we asked our faith base yesterday to stand at the front line between police and looters and rioters. And I am simply not comfortable telling my churches, those people, to be the intermediary in the middle of a riot that's citywide. We need something better because right now we only have 370 whatever National Guards on standby. Half our neighborhoods are already obliterated. It's too late. We have to come up with a better plan because once my fear is once we're they're done looting and rioting and whatever's going to happen tonight, God help us. What happens when they start going after residents, going into the neighborhoods? Once they start trying to break down people's doors so they think they got something, or you know, we know that people are here to antagonize and incite, and you've got them all pumped tonight. Today, they're not going to go to bed at eight o'clock. 
They're going to turn their focus in the neighborhoods. I've got gangbangers with AK-47s walking around right now, just waiting to settle some scores. What are we going to do and what do we tell our residents other than good faith people stand up? It's not going to be enough. Thank you, Alderman. Next question. Well, no, I want an answer. I bet you commented on everybody. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. This is a Honor. question that I have. I think you're 100% full of shit is what I think. If you think oh, we no offense, well, fuck you then. Hold on. Who are you, you to tell me I'm ready. full of shit? And if you think, if you think we were not ready and we stood by and let the neighborhood go up, there's nothing intelligent that I can say to you. Well, maybe you should come out and see what's going on. the stupidest things I have ever heard. I understand you want to preen. I understand that you think that you... Mayor, you need to check your fucking attitude. That's what you need to do. Right now? No. You need to check your attitude. Post-truth. Post-truth. Truth doesn't matter anymore. George Floyd protests injured 27 in Britain. While the... London mayor wants to take down every statue to appease the mob. Portland police. There is active aggression towards officers. Slingshots are launching projectiles and additional projectiles are being thrown. Members of the crowd are attempting to use bolt cutters to cut through the fence. Fence, we are messaging to stop this behavior. I was told that I was an idiot for saying Portland is a madhouse by somebody who doesn't live in Portland. Simultaneously, a plywood wall is going up around Portland City Hall. When his own security is at risk, Ted Wheeler platitudes about not building walls suddenly no longer apply. Let's build bridges, not walls. Work together, not against each other. Walls are racist. Once all said by Ted Wheeler. Because once again, it's not about your safety. They're going to have their security. And then the most disgusting thing, and everything I'm showing you, you didn't see on TV because we're post-truth. We just see peaceful protesters. Repeat it over and over. Peaceful protesters. In fact, this is what you hear every day on your TV. As you, as you know, the protests have created a lot of friction between the president and both current and former military officials. In fact, the Associated Press has a story this morning with a headline, uh, White House and Pentagon tensions near breaking point. You've covered the military for decades. What's your take here? Well, I think really this week was stunning when you had Secretary Jim Mattis, General Jim Mattis, come out with very harsh, very strong words directed right at the president. You had the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mike Mullen. So this seemed like a real inflection point as well. Uh, those men were clearly angry about what the president had done and, and threatening to put active duty combat troops on the street face to face not not just national guard but bring in active duty military i i think you're you know you're walking at this looking at this photo opportunity right now uh where the secretary of defense there behind him uh i i do not think meant to be in that photo opportunity you've got uh general mark milley the chairman of the joint chiefs 
behind him in what's called the battle dress uniform. Uh, he backed out of the photo op, but I think both men uh, regret being part of that walk. They want to keep politics away from the Pentagon, and that that is very important to them. Uh, we want to let uh, peaceful protesters provide that uh, that environment for them to exercise their First Amendment. But at the end of the day, uh, this is about law and order. Uh, this is a country built on law and order, uh, and we're going to address those protesters that are destroying businesses, that are targeting law enforcement off- officers. We can't have that go on day after day. It, it, I, there have not been too many examples in the last few days. Now, look, the law enforcement is a difficult job, and there were senseless acts of violence against some officers, certainly establishments as well. But these protests were protests were prompted because of the violent death of George Floyd by police officers. And there's now fresh outrage because of the way some of those protesters have been treated by law enforcement. I want to show you just a few examples. <laughs> Now there, you see what's going on now. Now there's just a lot of violence. What is your reaction to that, Mr. Secretary? Just north of the White House here. Well, let me first say that uh, the outrage that Americans are feeling today about the death of George Floyd is very real, it's very legitimate, and we need to address that. And I think uh, the president has been very clear about that. We need to make sure that those that are responsible are held accountable, brought to justice, and, and we are doing just that. And I think you've seen the justice system move pretty quickly on that front. All those police officers uh, have been uh, arrested and charges have been filed. Uh, so I think, I think we need to state that first and foremost. But, again, what we see across the board, by and large, is law enforcement doing their job. Yes, there are individuals uh, in every profession uh, that are perhaps criminals, that are perhaps uh, abusing their authority, and we need to address that. And, and again, we've been very... But how do you address that? When you let look just, at those images... Say, let, let me just say... Yeah, let me just say that for DHS, this hits home. We had a federal protective uh, officer last Friday, over a week ago, targeted and assassinated, shot in the head as he's responding to a protest. So this hits very close to home for the Department of Homeland Security. But really, the president is not sorry for the way things went? No, the president is sorry about uh, the fact that Antifa wreaked havoc in our streets and the failure of some members of the media to note that. Like CNN's Chris Cuomo said, show me where it says protesters are supposed to be peaceful. Um, Well, I point him to the First Amendment where it says that you have the right to, quote, peaceably assemble. He should go back and read the Constitution. Um, There are many others out there, like Don Lemon, saying that rioting is a mechanism to restructure our country. Burning down St. John's, using uh, a pick to to literally like carve out, as we saw in that video, uh, concrete from the sidewalk to hurl at officers. That's not peacefully protesting. The actions of actions of the rioters were not in keeping with the First Amendment. And I think the media needs to recognize there's a discernment between the peaceful protesters, many of whom I've seen, and the rioters. And yes. America will act against rioters. And yes, under President Trump, he will not allow burning buildings, 150 federal buildings to be defaced and 750 law enforcement officers to be injured in our country. He still hasn't given a formal address to the nation. Why is that and are there plans for him to do that anytime soon? So the president has addressed the nation on this. I know several media outlets chose not to cover it. But um, when he was down at in Florida last Saturday, he said, and I have the whole thing here, um, as he said many times, the death of George 
George Floyd on the streets of Minneapolis was a grave tragedy. It should never, ever have happened. He spent several minutes um, going through this. In fact, half of his speech saying, I understand the pain that people are feeling. We support the right of peaceful protesters. They have downplayed the violence since the beginning. They downplayed the looting. They even caught themselves, and once they realized what they were projecting, when they were trying to show that the police were aggressors, when they weren't, the police just weren't lobbing CS at people. There was a reason they were lobbing CS at them. They stopped showing it. We went to just Cuomo, Anderson Cooper, Rachel Maddow talking to you. There was no longer protest show. And like stated on numerous podcasts, once they saw Philadelphia blowing the fuck up, literally. So much so, we'll have it in our media section. A paper ran Buildings Matter 2, because they destroyed so much. And Minneapolis will play a soundbite, literally looks like Mogadishu right now. They stopped showing it. They're definitely not covering this. Andy NGO. Seattle Mayor Jenny is allowing a dangerous situation to fester. Antifa militants have taken over and created an autonomous zone and city with their own rules. Police precinct abandoned. Antifa set up barricades to create a border calling for volunteers to provide armed guards. The Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone folks in Seattle have secured six blocks of city ATM barricaded it and gotten local businesses and residences residents to agree to, well, disaffiliate from Seattle, basically. It's a flux state in the making. You are entering free Capitol Hill. It's a huge area. They even put out a map. Speaker at the Autonomous Zones advocating folks with firearms take shift, defending the barricade. Shit is getting organized. The Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone folks in Seattle have secured six blocks of city ATM, barricaded. Speakers at the Autonomous Zone advocating folks, firearms. Julio Rosa, some of the signs posted around the area, one call for defunding of the Seattle PD and the dropping of all charges against protesters. Another says the cops will always be racist because capitalism requires inequity. Some of these things are horrible. Um... Demands, uh, defund Seattle police demands, sign on here. Uh, the defund Seattle police department, fund community-based health and safety, drop all charges against protesters. Build a better Seattle. The cops will always be racist because capitalism requires equity. Protesters are put on barricades that those coming into the area are now leaving the USA and entering Cap Hill Autonomous Zone or Free Capital Hill. In 2018, Ted Wheeler allowed a similar Antifa zone in Portland to go on for five weeks, not only to become a biohazard site with intravenous drug use and local businesses and residents were terrorized, taxpayers had to pay for the extensive cleanup. Borders and walls are just fine in this case, says nobody. Literally, no coverage. Waco was raided. Ruby Ridge was raided. Conservative militias were raided. 
They're doing nothing about this. Nothing. They're just letting it be. And as stated, it's not the first time. But most of it's based on race. Race is our problem. Jen in Colorado, big sis, sent me a soundbite. Even Don Lemon saying, and I don't know when he said this, it's from, you know, it's a little dated. I'm so tired of talking about it. But here are what black people think that the media don't hand the microphone to. Do you think that race plays a part in wealth distribution or either a mindset that you can't or cannot? Yeah. No. You don't? No. I don't. I don't. You and I, we're proof. Why would race have anything to do with it? Stick your, put your mind to what you want to do and go for that. Uh, it's kind of like religion to me. It's a good excuse for not getting there. Where are we in the United States of America in race relations and what, what you see from day to day in your life? Skip, they wouldn't want to ask me that. They wouldn't want my answer to represent it because... God knows I have been nothing but blessed. My whole path, my these thirty-three years have been nothing but a yeah. blessing. I have, I have never, and I'm, never is a strong word. I've never dealt with racism, and I'm glad I didn't have to. There is a class of colored people who make a business of keeping the troubles, the wrongs, and the hardships of the Negro race before the public. Some of these people do not want the Negro to lose his grievances because they do not want to lose their jobs. There is a certain class of race problem solvers who don't want the patient to get well. That was said by Booker T. Washington. How are we going to get rid of racism? Stop talking about it. I'm going to stop calling you a white man. And I'm going to ask you to stop calling me a black man. You know, it's, it's frustrating to me that people take race and they make it personal. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're at a, we're at a loss in this generation. If you look at in the eighties, Archie Bunker was a stark racist. Stark. If you don't know who Archie Bunker is, look him up. All in the family. Great show. The Jeffersons. Stark racist. Fred Sanford. Stark racist. But you know what black people and white people did? They laughed. You watch 48 Hours with Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte. Both of them hated each other because he was black and because he was white. You know what they did? They laughed. But I ask you what the racial breakdown was of your audience. Do you remember this? You told me the only black face you could see in the whole audience was your makeup artist. I believe that's what you said. She was in the front row, right? A lot of white kids love rap. Yes. Explain that. What, what, what does that say to you? What's the message of it? What's the bigger picture of it? I don't want to. I don't want to be bashed because I don't want to sound like I'm on the wrong. If there is a side, but I thought that was clearly a message that there was no such thing as racism. That's what I thought that was. You know, I said, and it's probably get me in trouble, but I said to some of my colleagues recently, say, so I know that it's an issue, but I've been. It seems like every single day on television, I'm talking about race, and it's because of the news cycle. It's in the news, but I'm so, sometimes I get so tired of talking about it. I want to. I want to just go, this is over. Can we move on? And, and if you talk about it, it exists. Right. Yeah, 
it's not like it exists and we refuse to talk about it, but making it a bigger issue than it needs to be is the problem we have. And right now, we are in a society where we can't have a conversation because no one's willing to listen. People are just shouting. People are just what shouting. People are walking down the street, hashtagging everything, but no one's listening. Using wrong examples to present an argument leads us nowhere forward. I understand the emotion, and I respect my opposition, but when you go into the areas of making false charges and living in the past, you do not address the issues of the present. And, you know, incarceration rates in America has been a problem, especially as opposing minorities, and Roman delves into this, the issues around the legal system. Do you think we've made any headway I think it's more important to make headway in our own house. By the time the system comes into play, the damage is done. They're not locking up seven-year-olds. In the 1960s, 80-plus percent of blacks were two-parent homes. Today, that is reversed completely the other way. I was in Chicago a couple of three, four weeks ago, and we saw these little kids on bikes with masks on the side of their head, like five or six of them. And the driver said, yeah, they're little yummies. I said, who? He said, little, little yummies. Look up. Google little yummy. Mm. Little yummy was an 11-year-old murderer. Wow. And you look at his picture, you'll see the headshot of him, and he's like this. And he got murdered at 11 by a 14-year-old. Wow. Who's doing life now and a 16-year-old. That makes no sense. You, you blame the system? Where was his father? No one wants to talk about perception when it comes to racial profiling. No one wants to talk about stereotypes when it comes to racial profiling. Blacks are convinced that the number one issue facing the country right now is social justice, racist white cops, uh, discrimination, systemic uh, racism, microaggression, whatever new word they come up with. And it's a bunch of nonsense. This is what I know. I'm a certified scuba diver. My first day of class, they told me this. When you're in shark infested waters... Everything in that water is considered a threat until proven otherwise. If it's a guppy, it could be a shark until you know it's a guppy. And I think as black men, we need to realize we're in shark-infested waters. And if we don't sit our young men down and we don't talk to them about perception, and we don't talk to them about stereotypes, we're doing them a huge disservice. It starts in the house. It starts in the home. And, yeah, well, well my father got locked up. Well, where was his father? Yeah. You know, like I, I did talk about my three closest friends, and they did, you know, 15 and 25, one did 28, this and that. I was the only one of the three that had a father in my life, even though my parents were together. But I still had a father who was a gentle man and a good example, yeah. and they didn't. We can blame the system if we want, but they didn't lock any of us up at seven. Yeah. We were all doing enough to get locked up at 13. My parents sent me in another direction. They didn't have anybody to help them, and they kept doing what they was doing, and the system got them. So I, I don't. The, the system is rigged, but why? All the more reason not to help it. The number one problem domestically facing this country is the breakdown of the family. And uh, President Obama said it. I didn't. Uh, a, a, a black kid or a kid, not just a black kid, a kid raised without a dad, is five times more likely to be poor and commit crimes, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in jail. So you're far more likely to end up in jail without having a dad than you are because of a white racist cop. Prime example, I got pulled over by the police, come over to my window, flashes light in my face, hand on my pistol. I can handle that two ways. 
I can start yelling and screaming and tell him he's a racist and he don't know me. Ah, you're doing this wrong. Or I can say, yes, officer, no, officer, are we done, officer? And both of them are going to have drastically different outcomes. Half the homicides in this country are committed by and against black people. Last year, there were 14,000 homicides, not talking about suicides, I'm talking about homicides. Mm-hmm. Um, half of them were black, 96% of them black on black of that 7,000. Where's the black, black Lives Matter people on that? What, what happens with young black men, everything is susceptible to the question of your manhood. Mm. And what's going on in these streets ain't got nothing to do with my manhood. Interesting. If I'm going to fight a police, I'm going to fight him in a controlled environment, a court of law. I'm not going to fight him on the streets. In Baltimore, where Freddie Gray was killed, uh, Freddie Gray died in a van. I shouldn't say was killed. Okay. Died in a van. Yeah. You have a city that's uh, 45% black. Uh, city council is 100% Democrat. The majority of city council is black. The top cop at the time was, was black. The number two cop was black. The majority of the command staff is black. The, the mayor is black. Uh, the AG is black. Uh, and yet here we are talking about racism. I mean, it's, it's absurd. All cops aren't bad cops. 99% of cops are really good dudes and women. I've, 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 99% of the people I've met that are cops are dope. I have a lot of friends that are cops. But that 1%, that's the problem. And you want to give yourself every opportunity not to end up a statistic. 965 people were shot by cops last, last year and killed. 4% of them were white cops shooting unarmed blacks. In, in Chicago in 2011, 21 people were shot and killed by cops. Uh, in 2015, there were seven. Uh, in Chicago, which is a third black, a third white, and a third Hispanic, 70% of the homicides are black on black. Uh, about 40 per month, almost 500 uh, in the year, per year, last year in Chicago, and 75% of them are unsolved. Where is the Black Lives Matter on that? The idea that a racist white cop uh, and shooting unarmed black people is a peril to black people is BS. Black History Month you find ridiculous. Why? You're going to relegate my history to a month? Oh, come well, on. What do you do with yours? What, which month is white history month? <laughs> no, well, no, 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 come on. Tell me. Well, I'm Jewish. Okay. Which I'm month Jewish. is Jewish history month? Uh, there isn't one. Oh. Oh. Why not? Yeah. Do you want one? No, no. No, I, 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 I don't either. I don't want a black history month. Black history is American history. Abraham Lincoln, as my colleague said, fought a war to preserve the Union. That republic allowed for the people of the United States, under our Constitution, to amend it, therefore removing slavery, and then moving forward to the Voting and Civil Rights Act, and also the suffrage movement for women. At that same time, and you would say it as strong as anyone, uh, it's no excuse for them bombing and, and destroying your own neighborhood uh, and, 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 and burning down wherever it's happening, burning down storefronts and stores that people with mobs who, is how they get turned into that. Yeah. Um, what's to be gained? Yeah, you stop for one split second to think uh, burning and looting doesn't help you in any way. I understand y'all upset. But like it was already said, I doubt y'all half as upset as I am. So if I'm not over here wilding out, 
If I'm not over here blowing up stuff, if I'm not over here messing up my community, then what are y'all doing? I will always continue to say that riots are socially destructive and self-defeating. I'm still convinced that non-violence is the most potent weapon available to oppress people in their struggle for freedom and justice. I feel that violence will only create more social problems than they will solve. Let's switch it up, y'all. Let's switch it up. Do this peacefully. Please. My brother moved here from Houston. And I used to talk to him on the phone. He he loved it here. He started driving truck. He he, he was he was good. So I don't I highly doubt. No, I don't know. I know. He would not want y'all to be doing this. So I will continue to condemn riots and continue to say to my brothers and sisters that this is not the way. Continue to affirm that there is another way. I have any respect. I wouldn't have took, I'm supposed to be out of town this weekend with my wife. I took off today, this weekend, and I'm out here to make sure y'all say But don't go there with respect, okay? I have much respect, but I only live with one person. I had a state trooper from Georgia, African American. Says he kneels for only his wife and God. Terry Crews tries to promote racial unity, gets told to shut your coon ass up. Not going to read it. Same thing. It's no, this isn't true. Because what does our media portray? Well, Everyone is racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Today, Washington, D.C.'s mayor had Black Lives Matter painted on the street that leads to the White House. Take a look. You know, one of the most pervasive chants at all of these protests has been, whose streets, our streets? It feels like that is D.C.'s answer. You had a mayor and a police chief and a city who were very upset at the way the federal officials have handled the protests in this city, really starting especially on Monday afternoon. Uh, that feels like a big yellow middle finger to the White House, essentially, pushing back against the federal response here. An unambiguous message which leads directly to the White House. That monument now is alongside all the other monuments in the nation's capital, the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial. White America needs to come to terms with the fact that we live in a racist society and that there are bad cops. Police brutality is real. Disproportionate police brutality against people of color is more real. The relationship between those two things is no mystery. We all have biases. We can all overcome our biases. But if you have police, the, the power that police have, and your biases are not checked, they can be lethal. So let's name the problem and fight it. 
It's not enough to not be a racist. If you're the recipient of unequal benefit from the police, it is not enough to think of racism and police brutality as unfortunate parts of America's history with which we have reckoned. It is not history, and we have not reckoned with it. It's time for us all to get uncomfortable, to demonstrate our support for real change, and to act on it. This nation, not only African-American community, we will not survive if, if, if there is a continuation of this administration. Those are strong words, President Johnson. Those are very strong words. We will not survive if there's another term. We, we, there's no way. Derek Johnson, president of the NAACP, um, really appreciate you uh, coming on. I know our journalists appreciate it as well, and I, I, we all appreciate that you didn't hold back. And I, I, I have to agree with Tamia, that, that jumped out at me. Um, it was very blunt. It was very straightforward. And I know he's not alone in thinking that. All right, so this has been a tumultuous two weeks, from shocking, reaffirming, confusing, comforting, disheartening, giving rise to greater determination to keep fighting for right. And in this fight, a diverse tapestry of people on one accord globally, end racism, end injustices, Black Lives Matter, right, not dictated by political leanings, associations with comfortable spaces, but what's right on basic human kindness and decency levels. And along the way, in the spirit of Eric Garner, Breonna Taylor, Michael Brown, and George Floyd, we have seen these things, heard things, stirring all of our emotions, bringing us to ask, where are we? And how is this? And how can this be? Behaviors, biases, travesties, and obstacles going back 400 plus years in America. So wouldn't it be something if where we are right now, if we are in a place on the precipice perhaps of what abolitionist Frederick Douglass said is needed to right the wrongs. He said it is not light that we need, but fire. It is not the gentle shower, but thunder. We need the storm the whirlwind and the earthquake and in this moment is all of this all of this is this part of the forces behind that storm that earthquake it's up to all of us i'm frederica whitfield thanks so much for being with us this evening have a great night So, Dr. Harvey, before we answer Chris's question, I just wonder if we could address what white privilege is, because I think it's more subtle uh, than many realize. How do you define it? How do you explain it to people? So, white privilege is the situation where racism, as it impacts black communities and Latinx communities, Asian American and Native American communities, White communities are not negatively impacted by racism, and sometimes we get unjust benefits and easier access to things just because we're white, not because we deserve it. So to answer Chris's question then, she was asking, what's the right approach? What is the right approach? One of the most important things that we need to acknowledge right now is that the most dangerous kind of white privilege is to think that we can sit this justice struggle out. This struggle won't be over in two weeks, and as communities of color and especially African-American communities are leading the struggle for racial justice right now, white Americans need to get all in with them, both interrupting racism in our families, 
even if it's uncomfortable or causes conflict, but also supporting racial justice organizations in our neighborhoods, in our cities, where black folks are leading and standing up against racism right now. We all have a role to play. Dr. Tatum, there was certainly a time where, you know, people were taught, oh, you know, that we don't see color, um, which is basically saying you don't see a person in front of you. Um, yeah. I know that's changed. Um, how do you answer her question? Thank you, Chief! Thank you, Everybody's racist. Veshi. Yeah, yeah, you're you're a racist. Chuck Todd, you're racist. Do you think if the mayor of Chicago... Let's say the mayor of... Uh, Na- well, Nashville's liberal, too. Um, conservative mayor. Painted, painted something from a pro-life... A chant from a pro-life, like the March for Life on a street, the media would cover the way they did. They just talked about it briefly and it was gone. CNN ran a racist special. Um, CNN told us to brainwash our kids. A police chief in there was forced to lay down. Signs from a protest. I only suck black dick. A white girl wearing I only suck black dick shirt. That's racist as fuck, but you you, you can get away with it, I, I guess, if you're a liberal. This, this is... It's election season. Jim Tretcher torches Ali Veshi for his statement and that soundbite. Imagine being so guilt-stricken by their, the circumstances of your birth that you're willing to watch a network that scolds you for being a racist. Ali Veshi is a clown who stood in front of a burning building and said... It was not, generally speaking, unruly. Being a racist is bad, and not being a racist is not good enough. You can't just try to live your life in the best of your ability. You have to apologize for things you couldn't control, even if you wanted to. I didn't kill that guy. I'm glad the cops who killed him are in jail. Beyond that, I don't owe you a goddamn thing, and I'm not going to condone the rioting, looting, and outright insanity I've seen over the past week. You're all out of your fucking minds. Leave me out of it. Ali Veshi, are you not conscious of the privilege, white privilege people enjoy, and that that privilege comes at a cost of people of color? Why is that even mildly controversial to you? Neon Taser, how is that remotely related to the point? Jim Tretcher, I've been under house arrest for three months waiting to die of a plague, and now I have to listen to racist assholes like you Blame me for the murder committed by a multiracial group of cops in a city I never even visited. With all due respect, respect, fuck off. Veshi, you could study house arrest to understand why it's different from working from home. I didn't accuse you of murder. If you benefit from a racist system, you could actively oppose it. Institutional racism isn't about white cops or black cops. One, two, three, three. You should study how to count. (laughs) <laughs> and sorry, but not being able to go anywhere is very different from merely working at home. Smellin' Keller, you should study blue-collar labor to understand why 40 million people are unemployed. You're murdering your career, and when cops kill more white men than black men, what about racism then? I suck at making lists, too, because she did hers. One, two, three, three. Jim Tresher, you should study riots. 
TV news, standing in front of a burning building, Veshi, generally speaking, it was not unruly. Jim Trutcher again. Why am I supposed to listen to a guy who can't even count to four? But okay. I can't leave my house. Fuck off. Yes, you did. Fuck off. I don't benefit from shit. I'm stuck in my house waiting to die of a plague. I didn't do anything to that man or anybody else. Fuck off. Three, the second time. Fuck off. But we've read on this show that white people allowing their kids to wear Black Panther Halloween costumes is cultural appropriation, it's white privilege, and those poor black kids can't wear their Black Panther because all the white motherfuckers. But white Democrats wearing Kenta scarves did a moment of silent kneeling where Nancy Pelosi couldn't even get the fuck up, and the media just covered it briefly and didn't talk about, hey, isn't that cultural appropriation? Uh, we gather in honor of those Americans and so many others. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Armand Arbery, Botham Jean, Terrence Kutcher, Jordan Davis, Oscar Grant, Philando Castile, Freddie Gray, Walter Scott, Tamir Rice, Michael Brown, Eric Garner, Trayvon Martin, any other names, members? Wish- Sean Bell, Jordan Davis, They were crushed by people online because it wasn't appropriate, but our media didn't. Congressional Democrats on Monday unveiled a sweeping police reform bill created in the aftermath of Floyd, but before doing so, took a knee in memory of Floyd and other black people who died during police interactions while wearing Kenta cloth, a traditional pattern textile from Ghana, eliciting backlash from black writers. The Kente stoles were reportedly given out by Congressional Black Caucus, according to NBC News reporter Leigh Ann Caldwell. I'm not sure what's funnier, those ridiculous politicians wearing Kenta cloth or Cory Booker smartly opting out of that absurd performance, tweeted best-selling author Roxanne Gay. Karen Adda at Washington Post said, I really need the guidance of my Gahanius ancestor after seeing Nancy Pelosi. If there was ever a time for Ghana to enforce their intellectual property copyright or protection over Kente and Andika, Texas, the time is now, said Shelby Ivory. Comedian Nicole Byers, the Democrats should hang up the Kente cloth, write laws, and defund the police. Questlove said uh, he had to log onto Twitter and see the photo to make sure the roots weren't pranking him. And it goes on and on. Media? No. Because CNN, 
promotes books saying whites are racist from birth. Last night's CBS thing, I forgot to miss that point, uh, the king lady who spends her whole time saying America's racist says, uh, blah, 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 say his name, which is a chanting thing they do at these protests. And she's a reporter, but she can't unblur the lines because she's a hacktivist. Her job is to be a hack and be an activist. Uh, the CNN article began, if you're a white person in America, social justice ed- educator Robin D'Angelo is a message for you. You're a racist, pure and simple. And without a lifetime of conscious efforts, you always will be. You just can't help it, you see, because you've been swaddled in the cocoon of white privilege since you came sputtering out of your mother's womb, protesting the indignity of it all. Question. Is this a Me Too moment for racial equality, or is the conversation going to fizzle? Question. Theme of your book, White Fragility, is how white people are perpetuating racism by being too fragile to discuss the subject openly and honestly. How can white people be fragile if we have white privilege? Question. If someone has to say to you, I don't understand how I have been shaped by my whiteness, what would you tell them? Question. You write about the pillars which support white fragility. What are they? Why is the book on racism written by a white woman flying off the shelves and resonating with people at this time? Question. There's much to be done. What are the key things white people can do right now to begin to make more permanent changes? You say in your book that white progressives can be more difficult than outright racist when it comes to conversations about race. I believe you say many black people see it as racism by a thousand cuts. It was featured on MSN.com. It's good shit. So, Before we go into the rest, because we already played the downplaying violence, we're going to listen to Tucker and Gutfeld really quick. And then we're going to go into what media did. For five straight nights. So, this is kind of our break. Because we don't do music breaks anymore. In Boston, a mob defaced a monument to the first all-black volunteer regiment in the Civil War. Because black people dying to end slavery sounds like white supremacy to us. At around the same time, a law professor from the University of Chicago called for an armed coup to overthrow the president of the United States, but that didn't get a lot of press because it didn't seem particularly newsworthy under the circumstances. It was that kind of weekend. What is going on? What is this about? Even the outlines are blurry at this point, but we know this. No matter what they tell you, it has very little to do with black lives, if only it did. If Democratic leaders cared about saving the lives of black people, and they should, they wouldn't ignore the murder of thousands of young black men in their cities every year. They wouldn't put abortion clinics in black neighborhoods. They would instead do their very best to improve the public schools and to encourage intact families, which we know beyond a shadow of a doubt is central to the life prospects of children. They try to make black neighborhoods as safe as their own neighborhoods. They would close the payday lenders that had so much misery to the lives of poor people of all colors. But they don't even consider doing any of this. They don't even try. Instead, they encourage theft and mayhem as if that will help. It will not help. This may be a lot of things, this moment we're living through. But it is definitely not about black lives. And remember that when they come for you. And at this rate, they will. Anyone who's ever been subjected to the rage of the mob knows the feeling. It's like being swarmed by hornets. You cannot think clearly. 
And the temptation is to panic. But you can't panic. You've got to keep your head and tell the truth. Tell the truth. If you show weakness of any kind, they will crush you. Ask Drew Brees. By some accounts, poor Drew Brees is on his fourth apology for the crime of defending the American flag. He decided to apologize, and now they're using him as a propaganda organ. Hostage tape after hostage tape. At a moment like this, there is no advantage in cowardice, in being Mitt Romney. You think you're saving yourself. You're just empowering the worst people, people who hate you. Before you know it, you're confessing to crimes you didn't commit. Don't start. Tell the truth. And the truth is, this is a good country, better than any other. Of course we are flawed, but we are trying, unlike most places, and we have nothing to be ashamed of, none of us. Immigrants know that best of all. That's why they come here. A million new Americans every year. They're not coming because America is a racist country. They're coming because it's not. That's all true. And in our clear moments, we know it's true. Even the people claiming it's not. Truth is a defense, no matter what they're telling you at this moment. This moment will pass. Remember that. All moments do. When it does, we will look back at what we just saw in horror and disbelief. But if you're honest now, you will keep your dignity. And ultimately, you will be very glad about that. Life is not worth living without it. Last week was a victory for mayhem, left-wing violence disguised as justice. And the media gets the assist with the disguise. I remember dystopian science fiction movies I'd watch as a child, Soylent Green, The Omega Man, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and wondered how could that happen? Is it caused by overpopulation, lack of resources, cocoa pebbles? I assumed our society was too rich and resourceful for anything like that to happen. I was wrong. To say these are weird times is like saying Rome around 476 AD was weird times. The purge occurred, and sorry, Hollywood scriptwriters, it didn't come from some autocratic right-winger. No Stephen King, Cher, and anyone else snorting horse tranquilizers behind a gated community who thought Trump was Hitler. It was actually your side. The purge happened when left-wing Dems endorsed the envy of those who would ruin us. Cuomo, de Blasio, Newsom, CNN. The purge was sponsored by its leftist enablers. Yes, the ones in charge, educated in the finest universities, where the logic of coercive power and grievance is the language of success. They run the mob. Before, if a young person wanted success, you'd focus on hard work. Now... You focus on grievance. What's he got and why don't I have it? I'm going to take it. And as the violence unfolded, we saw the disconnect between the horrifying actions and its coverage. In the daytime, you saw camera crews in front of peaceful crowds working from the same damn script. But at night, after they said, well, we really nailed it, chaos reigned. And that's where the lone non-journalist on Twitter did the work. They filmed the beatdowns of the terrified, the torching of buildings owned by minorities, the attacks on police, the stuff CNN and the New York Times wanted to keep hidden in the darkness. If you paid attention early on, you knew the madness was growing because you saw not just the violence, but the encouragement of violence, the desire to save your hide by supporting the mob. Which brings us to some comic relief. We're on your side. Never send a candy-ass appeasement signal to people who hate you. 
That video should be in the Smithsonian. Label it emasculation studies. In second place, you got sports reporter Chris Palmer. He tweeted, burn it all down as low income housing was torched. Then he called the cops when looters reached his gated community. What a loser. All this is brought to you by liberal government and the media that cradles it. First, the media shows only protests hiding the violence since the harm undermines their narrative. But in an honest moment, you can get them to admit that when violence comes, it was okay. Too many see the protests as the problem. No, the problem is what forced your fellow citizens to take to the streets. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Who says protests have to be peaceful? Say that to the black man who watched his business burn down or the immigrant facing his boarded up deli. Cuomo's social justice karaoke won't feed their kids. Then there's his brother who tweeted this as New York City burned. There are those who want to intentionally blur the lines between peaceful, legitimate protesters and looters. The president is among them. They want you to watch the videos of the lootings, not the video of Mr. Floyd being murdered. Don't fall for it. So as New York implodes, its governor thinks the biggest problem is people seeing the implosion, the death, the mayhem, the desecration of Mr. Floyd's memory. Like this video of David Dorn, a retired 77-year-old police chief who bled to death after being shot by looters. I'm sorry, I meant unpeaceful protesters. Please don't watch because you might blur the lines between peaceful protests and looters. But who is blurring the lines? It's those who accuse you of demeaning protesters when you're pleading for help to stop the violence. And that allows cities to burn because it makes it impossible to stop the mob if you continue to deny it exists. Take this, Bozo. We do not need, nor do we think it's wise, for the National Guard to be in New York City. People who could be very, very unnerved by the dynamics that our police officers have learned to work with and deal with, that is a dangerous scenario. What does that even mean? Plus, he hates the police he's talking about, and man, do they despise him. Because he'd rather stay on the mob side than protect their victims. And so, by not admitting there's a distinction between protest and pandemonium, it leaves the citizens with no recourse but to protect themselves. A peace to keep the peace. The left did more to end gun control than the NRA could ever do. I saw my neighborhood destroyed. Then it got peaceful. It's the curfew, the media said. No, it's because there's nothing left to steal. The victim was left bloody and unconscious, pockets out with nothing left to loot. As the looters were sprung the next day. And why? The government fears the media more than the mob. So you become the scapegoat, the sacrificial lamb to the slaughter. Credit decades of grievance politics, decades of cities run by corrupt Democrat machines, decades of media fanning racial division, decades of romanticizing radicalism and smearing the American system, decades of hating you. It now came to fruition, the purge, and it went off without a hitch, as it will next year and the year after that until we say stop. And by we... I mean Americans, not black, white, or Asian Americans, all Americans. Because this isn't a race problem, it's our problem. And when we make it our problem, we can solve it. 
As it stands, the new explanation is systemic racism, a phrase the system uses to keep the discord in place. Think about it. Discrimination is illegal. Every company has a diversity office. They die to hire a qualified minority. We've had a black president two terms. We've seen the lowest unemployment among minorities in recent history. There's actual prison reform and help for historical black colleges. We have minority-majority police forces in big cities. This is the most racially diverse country and the most successful. And we just spent 10 days mourning the unjust death of a previously unknown black man that climaxed in televised memorial services. Would a society rife with structural racism do that? Sure, racists exist, but the structure is designed against that, not for it. It's illegal, at least today, and it keeps getting better. The problem with blaming structural racism is this. Even if you want to help, you can't. It's too amorphous. Could it be there are people who prefer it that way? Because if you say progress is being made, then what happens? Well, people no longer need the leftist demagogues, the race baiters, the media who divides us. And if the divide disappears, well, then you immediately double the power of everyone else. Blacks and whites become one. And that's got to scare a lot of the left-wing elites. But division, see, it keeps everyone busy. We're all fighting amongst ourselves while CNN and the New York Times rake it in. What if we change that? We can dream. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Move outside and let the man go First thing I want to make perfectly clear, this has been almost entirely peaceful. In fact, completely peaceful. It's been a mostly peaceful protest, but then they chose to move in. Uh, Many of these protests have been largely peaceful. Mostly peaceful. Mostly peaceful. Mostly peaceful. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm looking at those live pictures next to you, and they seem very peaceful. There are always folks on the fringes of protest that do the things that uh, we don't we don't like. A few people who break a few windows and burn a few cars. I just threw something on fire, Chris, a firecracker. on fire! No one should be destructing uh, property and that sort of thing, but I understand the anger. Discount people who are doing things to public property that, that they shouldn't be doing. It does have to be understood that this city has got, uh, for the last several years, an issue with police. So many good people out there who want change and who are demanding change. Our country was started because this is how the Boston Tea Party, rioting. So don't do not get it twisted and think that oh this is some something that has not never happened before and then this is so terrible and where are we and these savages and all of that this is how this country was started. I play that because 
I'm once again hammering post-truth. Everything's post-truth. And our media being part of the left, they don't believe in truth as evident, not on Veterans Day, as I said. I don't know why I said that. D-Day. Mara Lawson. Liasson. L-I-A-S-S-O-N. Biggest Antifa rally in history. She retweeted Norbert Eccles on this day in 1944. More than 150,000 Allied troops landed in Normandy. Time lapse shows there are 87 days of combat. Orange UK, Blue USA, Red Canada, Black Axis, D-Day. We talked about it before with the D-Day photo. You knew they were going to do it. These are reporters. She's from PBS. She's on Fox. She's supposed to be a straight-up journalist. But in the fervor of the moment to go with their left inklings, they all did it. Reply, seriously, what a horrendous tweet. D-Day and the protest crap going on now have zero in common. Not original or funny. So, Mara, you think the men who went ashore on D-Day were communists who want to overthrow the United States? You're astoundingly stupid. The fact that you make this comparison is truly disgusting and displays your utter ignorance. Today's Antifa is attacking those same troops. This is unconscionable. Neon Taser. Oh, I double-click, sorry. Yes, when I think of Antifa, I think of nationalist patriots fighting to preserve the socialist values of 1940 America, exactly like a bunch of smelly, patchouli-breath, middle-class hipsters from San Francisco who want to bike lock an old guy in a red hat, which actually happened. A lot of people replied, yeah, dude, I had family, go fuck yourself. Matt Deuce, about June 6, 1944. Largest Antifa operation in history. People for Bernie. He's not wrong. Mark Hemingway, the anti-fascist in D.C. last week, vandalized World War II memorial. It became an article. Twitter gaffe. NPR, Washington Post reporters, compared D-Day forces to Antifa. Uh, Long-time National Public Radio correspondent Mara Lysen, 35 years in NPR, she touts in her Twitter bio, retweeted someone's recounting a D-Day. Stephen Miller shot back, Mara, if Antifa and D-Day troops are the same, then why do they deface their own memorial in D.C. this week? Washington Post media reporter Paul Ferti, Ferti, Farhi, whatever, friends point out on D-Day anniversary that the men who stormed the beaches of Normandy were the true and original Antifa. In response, reporter David Martosko, the original Antifa, by the way, were German communist anti-fascistka Acton Party. Here's their 1932 conference. Look at the flag. Now look at the modern Antifa flag on their handbook. Friend, uh, it's totally fucking the same. Laurie also had a rebuttal to compare a duly constituted American army that liberated Europe with a bunch of thugs who spray paint, smash, and burn things within the U.S. as a violation of our laws is, of course, grotesque. P.S. NPR also drew attention for tweeting out about how to decolonize your bookshelf. So I tweeted to the new NPR public editor, Kelly McBride, Dear NPR public editor, if you think NPR has a problem reaching out to the red states, you could should consider this tweet and articles 
it has been so bad that the media research came out with the racist Trump and Republican inflamed tensions that led to the Boston Tea Party-like looting. The top 15. Trump fanned the flames of racial hatred. Steve Schmidt. I'm not going to read all of them because they're just disgusting and post-truth. Fareed Zakaria. Trump's Republican cheerful collaborators to blame for country's dark path. Trump has lied or misled about 20,000 times by the Washington Post count, and Republicans have repeated those lies. 13. Closet Trump has gotten to establishing an American autocracy. Brian Seltzer. How would you assess its call for troops, his treatment of the military? Was this the closest to autocracy? autocracy that we've seen thus far in the Trump years. 12. Just a few people destroying a few windows and a few cars. Joshua Johnson on NBC Meet the Press. Heavy-handedness seems to be the kind of order of the day. I didn't see any law enforcement really working to protect protesters and exercise the constitutional First Amendment right. This is also a part of the responsibility of law enforcement to uphold the Constitution. The idea that you can have a few people who break a few windows and burn a few cars and then militarize the whole nation's law enforcement infrastructure, it just shows how very tenuous things are right now. Just a few people. Remember, the one guy with a racist flag, Confederate flag, or one guy with a gun, one time at a tea party was a black guy, that entire movement is invalidated by the same people saying a few people. I mean, my original monologue coming in today, tea party, that's the greatest post-truth we've ever had. The Tea Party is a racist organization. KKK, we don't cover it. These marches going on 14 fucking days that have destroyed cities are peaceful protests. 11. Time to take the keys away from drunk driver. That was Donnie Deutsch. 10. Anderson Cooper. We can't let thug Trump rip apart America. President seems to think that dominating black people, dominating peaceful protesters is law and order. It's not. He calls them thugs. Who is a thug here? Hiding in a bunker. Hiding behind a suit. Who's the thug? I'm not reading the rest of it. Nine. Trump igniting tensions. Aaron Burnett out front. This is Don Lemon. This is all acting, all showing. He's performing that, what we thinks is a leader should be like. What he thinks a president of the United States should be like. But guess what? This is a very, very dangerous game. He's possibly igniting tensions. Not possibly. He's igniting them. Jim Acosta, belittling wannabe dictator. We already played it on the show. That's number eight. Seven. Trump intentionally inflamed racial division to rally his racist base. Don Lemon, we played it. Six. Wannabe wartime president is dangerous and destructive. Anderson Cooper. Don Lemon's number five. Stopping the looting equals declaring war on America. Four, Trump's sneak attack of protesters just like Pearl Harbor. We're going to cover it in a second. Three, Trump not on the side of the union. That was Keith Boykin. Trump's Tiananmen Square. That was on 
CNN New Day. Looting and rioting just like Boston Tea Party. Let's not forget if anyone judging this, I'm not judging this, I'm just wondering what is going on because we were supposed to figure out this experiment a long time ago. Our country was started because this is now how the Boston Tea Party rioting. So not get it twisted and think this is something that's never happened before and this is so terrible and these savages and all that. This is how the country was started. Um, this is a very unusual and unprecedented time for our country. As I came on the air tonight with, with you at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, as I said to you, there are 40 million Americans tonight who are out of work. There are more than 100,000 Americans who have lost their lives to COVID-19. There are people who are upset about the death millions of Americans and people around the world about the, seeing the death of a man uh, at the hands of a police officer uh, on videotape. And we don't know what's happening in this country right now. Perhaps this is uh, some sort of mechanism for a restructure in our country or for some sort of change in our country for us to deal with whatever we need to deal with in this country. I'm at a loss for words. As a person who is sitting here guiding you through this, I really don't know what to say at this moment, except for this is America. This is where our country, this is what it has come to right now. And I am wondering who is going to step into the void and, and call for some calm and try to pull us all together instead of dividing us. This is a deep division that is in our country. And you're looking at all different demographics on the left hand of your screen going into that store and taking things out. I haven't seen this since since Rodney King, to be frank with you. And no one condones what's happening in, in the, these in this video or in these live pictures that are coming into coming into us from Los Angeles. This is actually quite sad to watch. And it is an indication indicative of the pain and the sadness in this country of people who feel that they have no other alternative but to exhibit this behavior in our country. No other option. When you have nothing to lose, you have nothing to lose. No call for calm. Americans coming together. We are all one. Not that I have heard of. I sure would like to hear that. I sure would like to hear that we are all Americans and we, we all need to stick together. We all need to come together. Because if we can't live together as Americans, then what do we have? Do we ha even have a country anymore? This is unbelievable what is happening here. Unbelievable. When did this country get out of control? When did we lose control of this country? When did we cease to be A country, a group of people who wanted to at least live together in spite of the differences, because of our differences.
Isn't that the whole reason for the thing? That we are here because we want, because we are different? That we're, we're supposed to try this grand experiment? And let's not forget, if anyone is judging this, I'm not judging this, I'm just wondering what is going on, because we were supposed to figure out this experiment a long time ago. Our country was started because this is how the Boston Tea Party, rioting. So don't, do not get it twisted and think that, oh, this is some, something that has not, never happened before, and then this is so terrible, and where are we, and these savages, and all of that. This is how this country was started. But we thought that we had at least figured it out and gotten beyond that, but we could live together in some sort of democracy. But this is not democracy. This is not democracy. This is, quite frankly, anarchy. And so far, silence. I would love to hear from some Republican leaders. Call, please call in and talk to me. I want, I want to hear what you have to say about this. I really do. And I want to hear a message of hope. What do we do? I am a cable news anchor, and I am trying to figure out what we do. I cannot be the only person, the only voice, who are calling for people to come together and who are call, who's calling for peace. Look at this. Are you watching, America? Are you watching? Do you see this? Can you please help me? Can you? The time is now. You know, I want to go back to Joe, to all of that, and that one number that 80% of this country thinks we are out of control. That concept of control is such a, such an important thing that literally four out of five Americans think we are out of control. The president is out of control. Also, I'm sure you're going to get this a little bit later, political morning consult poll, just about 70% think we are seriously on the wrong track. Those are stunning numbers, whether you're in March, April, May, June, July, or August. Those are powerful, powerful numbers. And... The thing that I think plays so against the president, everybody's been so worried about Joe Biden. Is he the right guy? I think he's the perfect guy. He is comfort. We have a drunk driver. He's the designated driver to get us home. It has to be said is that the president, I think, ran the risk and still runs the risk of the possibility that he could lead people to commit acts of violence when he engages in that kind of rhetoric. We've seen this before when he referred to the caravan of migrants heading towards the border uh, as an invasion in 2018. We saw a mass shooting at a Walmart in El Paso. The shooter in that, in that event referred to the president's use of the term invasion. Uh, when the president refers to the press as the enemy of the people, and then there is attempts of violence uh, aimed at the press, that is a cause and effect. And I think that was the other realization over here at the White House, Wolf and Don, and that is the president, when he tweets things like when the looting starts, the shooting starts, there is the very real risk because we've seen this before. It's happened before. We're not speculating. It's happened before. There's a real possibility that when he tweets something like that, somebody could get shot. And the shooter could potentially say, I heard this from the president. I saw his tweet. He motivated me to do this. And it, it's not it's not uh, exaggerating things to talk about that possibility because as as we as we've seen, Wolf, it's happened in the past. 
This president traffics in racist and incendiary language all the time. Not only did he say when the looting starts, the shooting starts, but look at the other tweets that we put up. And I don't know if we have him, if we have him at the ready now. Thugs, where he start, where he called people thugs. Well, guess what? He's calling a whole lot of people thugs uh, because it was not only African Americans who were in that crowd uh, of protesters. Many of them, if not most of them, from the pictures that I've been seeing, are of different ethnicities. There are a lot of white people in that crowd, in the, in the crowd uh, as well. So he's calling not only African Americans, which may be a dog whistle for for some people in his, in his base. He's calling a whole lot of people thugs. That did not happen when we saw the 99.9 percent of people who were on state houses uh, protesting, spitting in police officers' faces, burning flags, and wanting to liberate and open uh, open up the country. He didn't. He said that those were good people who cared about their country. They were good Americans. They were breaking rules and also putting people's health at risk. And so I don't understand the difference between those good people who want to liberate because they want a haircut or they're tired of sitting on their couches and they're armed to the teeth with semi-automatic weapons. So I don't understand the difference between protesters. Listen, this got out of control in Minneapolis. No doubt about it. No one is condoning the violence. But again, I understand the anger. I don't understand the actions. I'm not going to judge people because when you don't have an outlet, when you don't have a platform, when you're upset and when you're angered, people lash out in ways that I, you or I may not understand. So I will give them the benefit of, of the doubt. But what I will say to them is that enough is enough. This takes away from the message. Protest. Do it smartly. Hold the signs. Hold your leaders accountable. Do it in that way. But this president, he knows exactly what he's doing. He is inflaming racial division in this country because he thinks, not only does he think, he knows it works for him in certain circles in his base. That's exactly what has happened. But what is being talked about is excessive force fundamentally excessive force. And so your solution to trying to show top down what the government stance is on excessive force is to violate ones, violate the constitution and the first amendment and then to use excessive force to make your point. It is absurd is what it is. And then you've got the notion that in the one hand is in a speech, Sean, he wasn't talking about the first amendment. He kind of signaled and your second amendment rights as if that was supposed to be some way of conveying or insinuating something. Maybe it was dog whistling. I don't know what it was. But what it was not was the leader of the executive branch of government, whose job it is to enforce the law, and the president of the United States arguing instead as commander-in-chief to look at protest through the prism of combat and threaten to send in the military. It is something that we'll never, we, I have never seen before. Many people looking at this and wondering and disoriented, what country is this? What sidewalk was that? Because surely it couldn't have been in front of the White House, which I know we've always termed the people's house. It wasn't yesterday. People were gassed. And why? For a selfie equivalent? It's absurd. Bakari, uh, it doesn't feel like Anything is de-escalating. As Laura points out, the president is threatening to call in active military to crack down, a la Tiananmen Square. And the protesters don't want to stop protesting until meaningful change is made. 
This is all acting. It's all a show. And he is performing in this country what he thinks a leader should be like and what he thinks a president of the United States should be like. But guess what? This is a very, very dangerous game. He, he is possibly igniting tension. Not possibly. He is igniting tensions, I know, more. I hope this doesn't turn out to backfire on him because if it does, it's not going to play out well for many people in the United States beyond the president of the United States. But if it, if it does, we will watch those images play out on our television screens, and America will see this. This is all about getting reelected in November of 2020. I'm not sure how much this is going to help the president. His, it, this may rah-rah help his base, but sensible Americans will realize, and they know, America is not a dictatorship. America is not a police state. When people are crying out to be heard, when they are protesting on the street, that means they are angry, they are hurt, and they want to be heard. We have the strongest, biggest military force in the world. We have very strong, very big police forces all over cities and municipalities in this country. We can stop rioters anytime we want. We can stop looters anytime we want. We can stop people who are breaking laws anytime we want. But what we can't figure out is how to deal with people who are hurting Americans who are just like us, who live in the same community, if not adjacent communities, who, who share the same land and, and the same values. We cannot figure out how to get along with them, bring them into the fold, and as the president of the United States, represent those people and engage those people without sicking military the military on them and armed forces on them. Uh, the president has incited and divided, has stoked this. His comments has been uh, as outrageous as they are unacceptable. President of the United States fanning these flames, inciting racial hatreds, just appalling conduct. For this very moment that just happened in front of our eyes, why were we pretending otherwise? Open your eyes, America. Open your eyes. We are teetering on a dictatorship. We are te This is chaos. Has the president, I, I'm listening, is the president declaring war on Americans? What is happening here? He's saying he wants to protect, he wants to protect peaceful protesters at the same time, sending law enforcement and military into the streets to push peaceful protesters back to be aggressive with peaceful protesters. He is doing the exact opposite of what he said in that speech. I think the president is playing a very, very dangerous game here. There are a lot of Americans who are out on these streets who are upset, who are frustrated, who are angry. Again, I am not condoning violence at, at, at all. And I hope that they remain peaceful, but I, and I, but I hope that they stand up and fight for their rights to peacefully protest in this country. But he's playing a very dangerous game because this will backfire. People are upset and they're angry. These people, as I have been saying as well, they feel like they are occupied in their own communities by police departments, many of them militarized police departments. Right. Now the entire country, according to his orders, we are living under a militarized country, or we will be soon, and it will play out in front of our very eyes on that. The sad state of affairs that we're dealing with tonight in the nation's capital, Anderson, is that 
the, we, we have now witnessed the President of the United States operating outside the bounds of U.S. law and the tradition of what we know to be our democracy, which is the United States government does not use the military against civilians in this country unless there's a damn good reason. And this just wasn't a damn good reason. And well, also, all we ended up with was what the, the right. President of the United States looking like a wannabe dictator right. uh, so he could walk over, over to a church and right. pretend to be concerned about the church. It was ju- It's just a sad... It's like, it's, like, it, it's like in some small country that's taken over by some low-level lieutenant, you know, low-level colonel who gets on the airwaves, declares himself a law and order president. He was upset by coverage of the fact that he had been rushed to the underground bunker on Friday night oh during God. those protests that you saw breaking out here wow. in front of the White House. That is what sources are saying, Anderson, we that that was are a part, in, we, what part of the decision. We are in trouble. So what does he have to do? He has to sick police on peaceful protesters so he can make a big show of being, you know, the little big man walking to a closed down church. And then, you know, he always talks about the world laughing, that the world are laughing at the governors right now. They're not laughing at the governors. They're standing in horror over what is happening. They're all for peaceful protests, except never the actual peaceful protest that's happening. Colin Kaepernick, people taking a knee during a sporting event. No, 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 that's completely inappropriate. That's not the right kind of peaceful protest. A peaceful protest across from the White House, Lafayette Park, it's a federal land. Uh, that's why he can use uh, federal forces. No, that's not appropriate. I literally labeled that pouring gas because they wanted it to continue. They wanted the violence. They're part of the violence. So they can do pieces like this. WAPO. Aaron C. Davis. Remember, post-truth. A week ago this evening, one of the most violent scenes ever caught on camera unfolded outside the White House. Thousands of mostly peaceful protesters were pushed, gassed, and shot at. Please watch our reconstruction of the defining hour of Trump's presidency. Neon Taser. You know the word privilege gets thrown around a lot these days, but calling that shit one of the most violent scenes ever caught on camera really is privilege to the point of vomiting. People showed 9-11. People showed Pearl Harbor. Jerry Dunleavy, one of the most violent scenes ever caught on camera. Let's debate the wisdom of what police did, but this is just a completely insane lie. Wars and genocides have been caught on camera. But it's narrative. I mean... Rapper Ice Cube tweets anti-Semitic smear in support of BLM. He did a QAnon this week. Nobody cared. It It was all right. Uh, Carol Roth. Hey, Bridget Fessy. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but Bridget Fessy. I'm starting to worry about America when liberals start supporting the Second Amendment. Tom Arnold. Second Amendment is for everyone, including black men with long guns, but it's fucking time us white liberal men to stand up for our brothers and sisters, borrow our dad's hunting rifles, and go nose-to-nose with Trump gang of misfit tools. Let's do it, Rob Reiner. Black lives matter. White people weren't out there. And another tweet, Civil War 2020. It's projection, man. They just project really good. As stated, not going to read it. They will not let go of the church. 
They just won't. They keep on calling it every little hyperbolic little reference and anomaly. Um, it, it's fucking comical because their side's the one busting shit up. It's not Trump supporters. They're not going in the street and burning shit and ruining houses and beating people. It's their people. Defense attorney under LAPD investigation for shocking Instagram posts, including calling for the murder of police. Bell Mulligan. Exclusive. A lot of defense attorneys under, L, uh, a local defense attorneys under LAPD investigation after his Instagram post called for police to be murdered and offered free representation to anyone who'd kill a cop. These cocksucking low IQ can't get into law school jarheads need an asphalt nap. I won't stop until black people start murdering cops, which they should do often with great relish. These cocksucking low IQ can't get into law school jarheads need an asphalt nap during which they bleed out on the street where they're shot down. I would have no problem with them. I would absolutely 100% defend to the death any African American who picked off a cough or two. It's time. It's well past time. We could keep feeding little black boys and girls that cock and balls canard about Oh, just wait your turn. We promise you'll just get real soon. We've been doing that since 1955. And that's moral arc. Those beautiful young children keep waiting for never seems to cascade over their neighborhoods. Now, now does it? Ah, he's not making sense. One last thing. It wouldn't be the first time I've defended terrorists. Of course, in that situation, that's a wild-eyed misnomer. But sign me up pro bono for somebody granddad putting a couple of hollow points right between the eyes of these PTSD addled rednecks I take one or two pro bono easy no problem the Melligan guy Mark McBride didn't return any of my calls texts or emails today and we learned the office he claimed to have in Beverly Hills doesn't exist but eventually tracked him down in San Gabriel tonight LAPD and police union discussed it with his alleged comments story at 10 San Gabriel, this is the story. Criminal defense attorneys on an LAPD investigation opposed the Instagram account for killing cops. Fox 11 exclusively obtained screenshots, blah, 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 blah. Mark McBride screen. We first saw the comments. It was disgusted. It was anger. Says Sergeant Sandos, Vice President of LAPD Protective League. There are so many good police officers in the country to be painted with a broad brush and then threatened with bodily harm for just wearing a uniform is disheartening and disgusting. McBride didn't turn in calls, texts, or emails. McBride has now either blocked me or deleted, shut off his Instagram account. This week, it was in our media bias section, it's a short section today, Instagram blocked FBI crime statistics, said it was against their violence, term of service. But this stayed. Twitter yawns as celebrity promote hate and violence. Not reading them. Griffin. All of them. All of them. Michael Moore. Somebody help me with math. If it sadly took burning down one police precinct, headquarters, and 22 other buildings to get them to arrest just one of the four cop killers, how many unoccupied cars in the city going to force the people to torch to get the other three cops running loose behind bars? Ice tea mood. He's holding a tomahawk. Burn it down. Soledad O'Brien. What do you, what do you have to lose, black people? And then it's staying in the, in the opening. 
Philly Inquirer staff revolts over factual headlines. Buildings matter too. New York Times is the only newspaper that has staff revolt over critique of racial writings in recent day. A headline on a piece by Philadelphia Inquirer architect critic Inga Safra and infuriated reporters of color. The newspaper and caused many of them boycott for the day. Under the headline, Building Matters Too, Inga Safran stated that destruction to structures matter even when black Americans are being brazenly murdered in the cold blood by police and vigilantes. Who are the vigilantes they're talking about? The only vigilantes we have are Antifa. The article is quite sensitive to black lives, but it didn't matter. Safran hit the usual mark. Black people have been the victims, blah, 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 blah. But they've destroyed the city. Buildings matter, too. Yes, they can be rebuilt while lives are forever lost, but that doesn't mean they will be. And they show pictures of just... It's it's the fucking mog, man! Hillary! She tried to get in. Against the backdrop of pandemic that has disproportionately ravaged community colors, we're being painfully reminded right now that we are long overdue for honest reckoning and meaningful action to dismantle systemic racism. Surprisingly, people took her to test. Do you remember the 90s? I know what they look at. It was trending. Shut the fuck up, Hillary. Ricky Gervais even came out. The mob just wants to shut you up. Because he's no longer cool with what's going on. But the violence just hasn't stopped. They're just not airing it. Literally, we're just not airing it anymore. We've quit airing violence. Because it doesn't fit the narrative. The narrative is cops are all white racist assholes. Never mind most of the inner city ones are black. I even had a a sing- pink came out and did something where everybody's racist. Everybody. I was going to play the soundbite with Minneapolis. Look it up online. It's fucking heart-wrenching. I mean, it is fucking trashed. Just trashed. Which... Brings us to, I don't understand, I, I, I don't understand Democrats. I, I will never understand Democrats. It, it's hard. It's just hard to understand why you, you think you can, well, I guess it's not. Okay, let, me, let me get my, my train of thought going here. With a media that says anything you say is the God's truth. I guess this makes sense. But somehow, some way, in all this craziness, over the last four years, they've said defund ICE, done legislation to pretty much take away your gun, take away gun. I mean, you got choke points stopping loans from gun manufacturers, uh, legislation so you could sue a gun manufacturer for somebody's action. Two red flag laws, gun licenses, a HIPAA violating fucking background check. 
revocation of the right to own an AR ungrandfathered, and now they want to defund the police. So, who who's going to fucking protect us? The Nets were just totally on board. Here's your nightly news. We need to find the least the controversial idea of gaining momentum across the country. The city council in Minneapolis will dismantle its entire department. The future of the Minneapolis Police Department will be clear. I am for massive structural and transformational reforms to an entire system that has not for generations worked. We have failed and we need to entirely reshape the system. We need a full-on cultural shift in our Minneapolis Police Department and departments throughout the country function. Am I for entirely abolishing the police department? No, I'm not. And so, over the coming days and weeks, I'm looking forward to working with council and talking with them about deciphering what particularly they mean when they say ending and abolishing. And I'll be talking with them directly. Minneapolis council members say the city's Calling you Tonight, what kind of a rallying cry to defund police departments across the country. The movement calls for cutting down police budgets and reinvesting that money into services for marginalized communities. If you defund police, what does it actually look like? 911 calls will do what they already do. Now, I did that on purpose. Don't think that's an error. There were so many sound bites, it's like 20 fucking minutes. They were on top of this. They were going to get this, which goes with my theory that I always tell you. It doesn't fucking matter what they come up with. These bumpkins in our media are so liberal that the most insane concept that this is, defunding, not fixing the police, let's just get rid of it. It's just fucking crazy. I mean, crazy concept. They went to the air and railed with it. So I'll replay it right. The best one is Camerata. And they say, if you need police, that comes from a place of privilege. MSNBC, oh, they're going to pounce on this. It might help Trump. I don't want Trump to use this against the Dems. And George Snuffberger pushing people to be for it. This time, on the end, you'll hear Biden. And it sounds like no, because he's not stupid. The phrase defund the police, uh, Madam Speaker, as you probably know by now, um, it's a phrase that has, has already been seized upon uh, by, by those on the other end of the political spectrum. Uh, they're using the phrase to paint you and, and some others as, as radical. The, the phrase defund the police... What, what does that mean to you? Let me ask you a, about a political backlash, potentially, to the whole 
protest demand of defunding police. Defunding could be used by opponents, by the president, to demonize Democrats in this election year. Anytime you hear a slogan being articulated by activists who are seeking uh, an end that could probably inspire a lot of common folks, you can be sure that Donald Trump is going to try to weaponize that slogan. The president tweeted just before Democrats unveiled this legislation, talking about defunding the police and tying Democrats to that movement and calling them crazy radicals and that he is the president of law and order. So he is trying to create this as a wedge issue, making it more difficult up here on Capitol Hill for anything to get done. We just showed that video of you, and we heard about what the council is deciding to do right now. So will you veto a council resolution to dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department? Let me be clear. I am for massive structural and transformational reform to an entire system that has not for generations worked for black and brown people. We have failed them, and we need to entirely reshape the system. We need a full-on cultural shift in how our Minneapolis Police Department and departments throughout the country function. Uh, am I for entirely abolishing the police department? No, I'm not. And so over the coming days and weeks, I'm looking forward to working with council and talking with them about deciphering what particularly they mean uh, when they say ending and abolishing, uh, and I'll be talking with them directly. Well, they, 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 they were very clear last night this has to be the beginning of the end of the police department. You also have people like Congressman Nilhan Omar, who represents Minneapolis, saying the police department is rotten to the core, that it can't be reformed. They believe it has to start from the ground up. Okay, th those are some of the changes you're calling for. Is there room for a compromise here? where the protesters are saying dismantle the police department. Just, just lay out what a compromise might look like and how you're going to get them to accept it. You're taking it from both sides during this entire crisis. We showed that video of the protesters telling you to go home, saying threatening to vote you out next year. President Trump has not been shy on Twitter calling you weak. What kind of toll has this taken on you personally, and do you think it might cost you your job? You saw what President Trump said yesterday, he's slamming Democrats, saying radical left Democrats are behind defunding the police. How do you respond to that? Yeah. Well, it's just, it's creating fear where none is necessary. Listen. The status quo way of thinking about achieving safety is really wrong when it assumes that the best way to achieve more safety is to put more police on the streets. It's just wrong. You know how you create more safety? You fund public schools, and, and it wouldn't be the case that in America today, two-thirds of our public school teachers come out of their own pocket to help pay for school supplies. So does that mean you support proposals like what we've seen in Los Angeles, Mayor Eric Garcetti saying, take some of the money from policing, about $150 million, invest it in health initiatives, training initiatives, is for youth. I support investing in communities so that they become more healthy and therefore more safe. The, in, right now, what we're seeing in America is many cities spend over one-third of their entire city budget on policing. But meanwhile, we've been defunding public schools for years in America. We've got to re-examine what we're doing with American taxpayer dollars and ask the question, are we getting the right return on our investment? Are we actually creating healthy and safe communities? And that's a legitimate conversation, and it requires a, a really critical evaluation. I applaud Eric Garcetti for doing what he's done. So does it mean, bottom line, we need fewer police on the streets of America right now? 
It means that we need to invest in communities, George. It means that we need to invest in educating our children when if you look at it over a course of time, we have defunded public schools in America. Does Joe Biden have the formula right? Don't defund the police, but condition federal money on reforms in policing? move by the city council certainly got a lot of people's attention last night and we're so happy to have you clarify this so what are you trying to do are you hoping by dismantling the minneapolis police department that you will be getting rid of the police department you know i think in minneapolis watching george floyd's death um, and the four the actions of the four police officers that were involved has been a huge wake-up call for so many in Minneapolis to see what many already knew, which is that our police department is not keeping every member of our community safe. And so I think step one for us is to tell the truth. Nine council members from communities all across the city of all different backgrounds standing together to tell the truth and say, this system isn't working for too many of our neighbors for too long. Our reform efforts have failed and we have done many many attempts at reform and new leadership in the department and many things. Uh, and we still see um, this tragic death. And so I think the wake up of our community is what's driving the city council's announcement yesterday. And now the hard work begins for us to rebuild systems that really work to keep all of our community safe. But to be clear, you're not talking about reform. The word dismantle is intentionally different than reform. This is more than reform. This is dismantling. I mean, activists who support this are calling this a police-free future. Yeah, and you know, a lot of us were asked if we could imagine a future without police back in 2017 when we were running for office. And I answered yes to that question. To me, that, that future is a long way away, and it would take an enormous amount of investment in things that we know work to keep people safe. I mean, for a lot of folks in our community, stable housing is a safety issue. Having access to health care is a safety issue. And so having, you know, I think one thing folks are asking is to stop investing so much money in this militarized police force and instead invest in the things that our community really needs. So... You know, I know the statement was bold, and I, I stand by that bold statement, but the work ahead of us will be long. It will include every member of our community. It has to. And, you know, I think we have very immediate things. We have a state action against our police department, which gives us legal mechanisms in the very short term. You know, there are lessons from all over the country, all over the world that we're looking to yeah. um, to take immediate steps while we work toward building the systems that we would need to imagine that that future. Do you understand that the word dismantle or police free also makes some people nervous? For instance, what if in the middle of the night my home is broken into? Who do I call? Yes, I mean, I, I hear that loud and clear from a lot of my neighbors. And I know, and, and myself too, and I know that that comes from a place of privilege because for those of us for whom the system is working, I think we need to step back and imagine what it would feel like to already live in that reality where calling the police may mean more harm is done. And so in the very immediate, we have to lean into whatever changes we can make in our existing police department. You know, I think we look to cities like Camden, New Jersey, that completely restructured their department as we build up systems. And we've already done that. We have we are not starting from scratch. We have invested in community-based safety strategies. We have knowledge in our community across the city 
We've done an analysis of all the reasons people call 911 and have looked at ways we can shift the response away from armed police officers into a more appropriate response for mental health calls, um, for some domestic violence calls, for um, health-related issues. And so the groundwork is laid already in Minneapolis for us to, to build on that, to learn from folks around the world, but really also to listen to our community and put those community voices front and center as we build up those systems even further. On a political point, as a Democrat, are you worried that you have just handed President Trump a great talking point or slogan or battle cry for his reelection to be able to say, see, Democrats want to get rid of your police. First, they come to take away your guns, as he says. Now they're taking away your police officers. Does that concern you? You know, that's why I said at the beginning that it starts with telling the truth. And I think we've been afraid of a lot of things, of that, those political dynamics, of what would happen in our city, you know, to have our police force hearing these kinds of words. And that fear is what we have to really work through. Because, again, that's the fear that so many in our community are facing. That's the fear that we see, you know, from George Floyd's family or the family of Jamar Clark or Justine Damon, who are also killed by Minneapolis police, who have told us we never want to see this happen again. And so those efforts that we have taken so far to stop this, to make sure no one is killed in this way, have not worked so our statement is to try something new. To Floyd's family, as Janet mentioned, was former Vice President Joe Biden, now the presumptive Democratic nominee. Biden and his wife Jill met with the family at a Houston restaurant for more than an hour. And we spoke with him for a CBS News special, Justice for All, and we asked Biden about that meeting. So Jill and I talked to him about, uh, it's hard enough to grieve, but it's much harder to do it in public. It's much harder with the whole world watching. We're an incredible family. His little daughter was there. The one who said, Daddy's going to change the world. And I think her daddy is going to change the world. I think what's happened here is one of those great inflection points in American history, for real, in terms of civil liberties, civil rights, and, and just treating people with dignity. You've seen the Black Lives Matter painted on that street just outside the White House. Some demonstrators added, equals defund the police. Do you support defunding the police? No, I don't support defunding the police. I support conditioning federal aid to police based on whether or not they meet certain basic standards of decency and honorableness and, in fact, are able to demonstrate they can protect the community and everybody in the community. Well, there will be much more of our interview. Just insanity. I even threw in the mayor boo it. The mayor lives there. He knows it's a clusterfuck. He got booed. But the left, 
Oh, they went after Biden. New York Times, Joe Biden does not believe that police should be defunded. A spokesman from this campaign said Monday, this statement comes as defunded police has emerged as a rallying cry after Floyd and Taylor. Jennifer Epstein, Biden does not believe the police should be defunded. He hears and shares the deep grief and frustration of those calling out for change is driven to ensure that justice is done. Biden supports the urgent need for reform, not taking it out. Matt Whitlock, not having a Joe sign this statement is notable enough, but skipping a large group of senior advisors like Seymour, Simone Sanders, down to Andrew Bates, this statement seems notable. They check the box on the issue, but don't want to send too strong a signal. Journos then come out and want to defend Biden from Trump criticism, defund the police movement, and the crime bill. But in the process... They look horrible. Andrew Kaczynski. Trump is saying both Joe Biden wants to defund the police, but is also responsible for the crime bill and its cops program, which added 100,000 police. Kevin Rolbelind. I saw this tweet and figured the crime bill attack must have been from a few months ago. Nope. Defund the police union, not the police. I'm missing the point. Biden changed his point of view when the wind changed. That's the point. So Trump's the bad guy for pointing out Joe Biden's flip-flop. Are you a journalist? Exactly. Exceptional example of Joe now changing from what he believed. Then we had people trying to explain what this was. Vox, Vox, police. It's just a policy proposal. It's also a narrative for how the country should be. The media is doing its best to to right the ship for Democrats after people like Ilian Omar tweeted that Minneapolis should disband the police department. And PBS News' Yamichi Alcindor tweeted some needed context. It doesn't always mean people want to dismantle the police department. Al Sharpton also decided to jump in with some important context on MSNBC Morning Joe. Casey Hunt, the slogan may be misleading without interpretation, Reverend Al says. Yamichi Alcindor. Some needed context. Activists calling for defunding the police are not always calling for dismantling departments. In many cases, it means redirecting funds from police departments to other parts of society that help people like housing, education, and community. The entire world goes, well, if you take the money away, what the fuck, Sally Cohn? Ending policing in prisons, as we know it, doesn't mean ending public safety. It means rethinking and reimagining public safety in ways that actually keep us safe. Don't fall for false dichotomies. Justice is possible. Another world is possible. De Blasio. This morning we committed to move resources for the NYPD to youth and social services as part of our city budget. Our young people need to be reached, not policed. We can do this and keep our city safe. Joe Aranga. After mounting pressure, the mayor says he will divert NYPD funding to social services, but he doesn't say much else. De Blasio again. Saying I hear you is just not enough. Here's what I'm going to do right now. Next ways of reform. Shift funding from the NYPD. Reform 58, transparency and police discipline. Move vendor enforcement out of NYPD. Bring community voices into senior level NYPD. Basically turn them into BLM. Daily Mail. AOC backs to fund the police movement. And calls for NYC to slash $1 billion from the $6 billion budget. Here's AOC. Fuck it, I'm just going to play them all. Here's AOC and everybody else trying to explain how taking money away and defunding the police is not defunding the police. Another thing that we need to see, and I think this is something that we saw, you know, we saw it in Ferguson, especially. 
especially, but we've seen it across the country. The militarization of our police is enabled by the federal government. And I want everyone to draw a direct line between our police budget and our defense budget here in the United States of America, because we would not be giving local police departments who are undertrained a tank if we didn't give the military too much money to have extra damn tanks lying around to begin with, to begin with. And so the same budgetary injustices. Now, Martin Luther King, he said, budgets are moral documents. They show what our priorities and commitments are as a nation and as a society. And the same problems that we are seeing, the same problems that we are seeing on a city council level and on a city level, which are you have an entire city budget and half of that budget goes to policing and a shred to education, a shred to mental health services, a crumb for hospitals. That is mirrored on the federal level. It is in the image of its creator. And what you see in the federal budget is a complete outsized military budget. And again, a crumb for education, a crumb for the actual investments that can prevent conflict to begin with. And so when when we talk about our issues with policing, I want people to really understand that this has actual consequences on the federal level. It's called repeatedly for reconsideration of priorities. Now we're about to go into a budget process over the next few weeks to make the final decisions on the city budget. But I want to make a statement of principle right now. Based on the suggestions of the caucus, based on the work of the task force, that we will be moving funding from the NYPD to youth initiatives and social services. The details will be worked out in the budget process in the weeks ahead. But I want people to understand that we are committed to shifting resources uh, to ensure that the focus is on our young people. And I also will affirm, while doing that, we will only do it in a way that we are certain continues to ensure that this city will be safe. We have a state action against our police department, which gives us legal mechanisms in the very short term. You know, there are lessons from all over the country, all over the world that we're looking to um, to take immediate steps while we work toward building the systems that we would need to imagine that that future. Do you understand that the word dismantle or police free also makes some people nervous? For instance, what if in the middle of the night, my home is broken into. Who do I call? Yes, I mean, I, I hear that loud and clear from a lot of my neighbors. And I know, and, and myself too, and I know that that comes from a place of privilege because for those of us for whom the system is working, I think we need to step back and imagine what it would feel like to already live in that reality where calling the police may mean more harm is done. And so... Many activists right now are calling for a defunding of the police. The Minneapolis City Council just agreed on a bill on this. Right before I came to tape the show, there was a clip on CNN from a Minneapolis City Councilwoman who said, quote, it's a place of privilege if someone breaking into your home wants to call the police. This is gaining a lot of steam. Nancy Pelosi this morning just refused to answer if she would support defunding the police. I just want to know from you, do you support defunding and removing police from American communities? And if not, 
Why do you think there's such a, a hard time being differentiated right now between defunding and reforming police departments? So, Megan, I think that a big part of this conversation really is about reimagining how we do public safety in America, which I support, which is this. We have confused the, the idea that to achieve safety, you put more cops on the street instead of understanding to achieve safe and healthy communities. You put more resources into the public education system of those communities, into affordable housing, into home ownership, into access to capital for small businesses, access to health care regardless of, of how much money people have. That's how you achieve safe and healthy communities. And so we really do need to understand and reimagine what and how we can actually make and help make communities safe. Senator, I hear you loud and clear, and I don't think there's any rational American right now who doesn't think that we need to take a cold, hard look at reforming our police. But there was a video that went viral over the weekend of the mayor of Minneapolis being yelled at, saying, yes or no question, are you for defunding the police? So I'm going to ask the same question the protesters asked him. Are you for defunding the police? How are you defining defund the police? Well, I'm not for anything remotely for that, so I would ask the protesters the same thing. But I assume it's, I assume, and again, this is something that is new to me, I assume it's removing police, and as um, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar said, bringing in a whole new way of of governing and a law and order into, into a community. And my understanding, again, this is something that has just come into my understanding recently, is that you, you would not have police officers like this Minneapolis City Councilwoman said that I would be a place of privilege if someone broke into my home and I wanted to call the police. So, again, we need to reimagine how we are achieving public safety in America. And I think um, just, to, just to add to the conversation, defunding the police doesn't mean abolishing the police. It means taking some of those funds that are typically one-third of the budget of a city and, and giving some of those funds to services like mental health uh, and education and, and mental health resources. But I want to change the subject and ask another question term defund is causing a lot of controversy and confusion on both sides of the aisle apparently because there seem to be different interpretations of the concept so Sonny I'm gonna come to you first what is the biggest misunderstanding here I think the biggest misunderstanding comes from those that aren't that familiar with um, law enforcement because it's something that I spent the majority of my career doing. You know, the biggest misunderstanding is that people think that defunding the police means abolishing the police, and that's not true. People just take the words and distort them. Even the pro, so-called pro-life movement, uh, pro-lifers generally are happy to be pro-life until the person is born, and then they drop social programs and they continue to not be pro-life. If you mean reform, say reform. If you mean defund, say defund. People are confused. But I will say, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar called for, quote, the complete dismantling of the police department. Quote, it is rotten to its core. So when Americans hear that, I I don't know what interpretation there is to to this because it says a complete dismantling of the police department. I mean, they think this shit's for real. A, a Planned Parenthood rep, Simu Leo, Lou, I don't know what her name. Welcome, cynics and conservative trolls. Glad you dropped by. While you're here, please take a gander as to what abolished police actually looks like. And they're talking using Planned Parenthood. They'll give people hugs. 
Stephanie Rule tried to get in there. Defund the police does not mean cutting the pay of police officers or taking their pensions away. Oh, it doesn't? Because I think it does. There's no money. Police girlfriend. These people are killing me. Let's defund the police and replace it with this. Apparently, yes. This is meant to be serious. You don't realize, but your brake lights aren't working. Imagine a city employee signals for you to pull over and says, Hey, how about I replace those lights for you right here so no one gets hurt? An hour later, both lights work and you're home safely. Is this public safety? You're experiencing a mental health crisis and are afraid. Somebody comes and helps you. Someone is behaving erratically in harm's way. Somebody comes. Incidents of gun violence are rising in the neighborhood. Somebody stops it. You're experiencing intimate partner violence. Someone is selling drugs to use. Someone fo- some folks are sleeping on benches in the park. Someone seems to be snooping in your car window. They tried to come and fix it and brought in the adults, but it was too late. It was out there. Molly Hemingway, Republicans taking advantage of massive gifts are being given by activists media this week. Where the police should exist is probably like an 85-15. It's 84-14 on YouGov, which is liberal. Nobody believes this. Stark Tribune, a manufacturing company that's been in Minneapolis is 87, is leaving. They lost the warehouse. Mediaite, whole article trying to clean up the mess and saying, it doesn't really mean that. You're being fuckheads. But you heard the sound bites. A thousand voices, and that's why I did the overdub. They want this. And it's why our media is failing. Just fucking failing, man. It is un. Conscionable failure. Just failure. I have a soundbite I'll save for next podcast. Antifa started this. Antifa. They were down with this, man. And I have an NYC cops respond, but we'll save it for next podcast because we're kind of work kind of long. So, let's go into Howard Kurtz, because at the end of the last podcast, we were still talking about the cotton. Well, they fired the editor. Let's bring in Howie Kurtz. He's a Fox News media analyst and host of Media Buzz. Howie, this just is stunning to me. Stunning. <laughs> it's an absolute fiasco to, for the New York Times and a big gift for Tom Cotton, who is going to run against this for some time to come. And the irony here is that James Bennett, very smart guy, was out there defending the decision on the grounds of the, there should be some diversity of opinion for New York Times readers beyond the liberal orthodoxy peddled by the paper to run the senator's piece. And his boss, uh, A.G. Salzberger, the publisher referred to in that soundbite, was also defending it until the pressure from the internal staff rebellion led by black journalists got to be so great that they just completely flipped, denounced the piece, and Bennett's out of the job. And I noticed, Howie, it was interesting that um, the journalists that were complaining said that the op-ed, like this speech, was going to put them in danger, that it would endanger their lives, you know, talking about workplace safety. And it's just overall the discussion in our country about speech is not violence. And 
they're journalists that are supposed to, when they report on a story, tell both sides. And where do you think the New York Times goes from here? That's the question. Where does the media go from here? I mean, look, I understand the anger and frustration of black journalists during this tense time with all the demonstrations going on after yeah. the horrible killing uh, of George Floyd. Uh, but this was an online-only piece by Tom Cotton. It certainly has many other ways of getting his message out. This reminds me, Dana, of the way that Donald Trump has been covered since he was a candidate and now president, which is um, there has been such overwhelmingly negative coverage of this president. Some in the media have argued, well, he's such a dangerous figure, he's such an authoritarian figure, that we have to change our standards. That we have to take a more activist approach uh, to this president. And when you take that approach, you're, you're no longer really practicing journalism, or at least the attempting uh, to be fair. Now we see this playing out uh, in a very difficult racial period for our country. I'm not going to downplay that in any way, shape, or form. But if we're at a point where even one of the nation's uh, largest newspapers feels it has to cave and, and attack a piece that it commissioned uh, from a United States senator whose support, yeah. whose view about the military actually has majority support in many polls. This is not a fringe guy pushing some fringe idea. Uh, then I think journalism is in trouble. This is why a major chunk of the country no longer trusts the media, whether it comes to coverage of Trump or now coverage of these uh, demonstrations. Yeah, it's tough. All right, Howie Kurtz, great to see you. Thank you. Spot on. You just spot on. Kind of go fuck yourself. Red State drops New York Times columnists. Sorry, I just had a craziness. Uh, um... Call us using Ferguson to brag about reporters. Ben Smith, I started this week looking at the origins of the journalistic moment in Ferguson, which took me into the story about Wesley Lowry of Washington Post, which led me right back to James Bennett and New York Times. What a bunch of heroes. Stephen L. Miller. Cool, Wesley. Gained journal celebrity status for being detained at McDonald's. Made his career. He attended film premieres and hung out with celebrities. Meanwhile, Ferguson residents had their stores burned to the ground, and you guys all moved down. Maybe your problem, you're the problem also. Hands up, don't shoot pictures from CNN, which still live in our protests and our lies. You guys lionized Mike Brown on the romanticized riots, and you went on to book deals and celeb status and promotions. The only real victim of Ferguson was the bodega owner Mike Brown assaulted. His story never been told. Kindly go fuck yourself. Jonathan Turley, Lisa Page, the new legal analyst for NBC and MSNBC. The problem is not that Page disagrees with the administration on legal matters, but that she is personally involved in the investigation and has shown intense and at times unhinged bias as an FBI agent. That's our media. Post-truth. Politico. Conservatives have found their latest example of liberal hypocrisy. And it's about the protests. But they don't cover that it's true. It's liberal hypocrisy. I spoke of it last podcast. The Lancet study that they used to bash Trump about hydroquinoquin. I purposely say it all fucked up now. Has been retracted because it was bullshit. The whole study. CNN gave it 90 minutes in one day. Bethany Mandel was called a fucking grandma killer. They killed tens of thousands of seniors in nursing homes. They won't let us go out of our own homes for months. They've destroyed the economy. Now if you don't do what they've been telling you not to do all the time to gather with other people, we're irredeemable racists. 
This is the scandal of the century. Because now you say you can go out and protest. White House Correspondent Association played the same game about a briefing where they had to sit closer than six feet. Because once again, it's not about truth. It's about how can we bash Trump? Today, the White House press office positioned ceiling with seating with the President Rose Garden news conference in a way that violated the federal government guidelines on social distancing. Blah, blah, Jonathan Carl. The entire world, why didn't you move the chairs back? Nobody made you sit there. Nobody did. But they're not covering the, a spike of 48 to 84 hospitalizations in New York. Not because they've opened, which is the narrative for the media, but because of the protests. They're not open in New York. They're just now starting to open. Protesters are balancing com- competing risk. More scientists explain how George Floyd protests are acceptable during pandemic. This is this guy's for real. So yesterday I spent a good portion of my time on Twitter arguing with people who thought the support of BLM protests by public health experts and healthcare workers has hypocritical risks our credibility and the event risks scars of whatever. I think the argument for conservative commentators was not in good faith. They were gnashing teeth about the relaxation of social distancing by protesters, but few of them are criticizing the president's so-called liberal states, the failure of the COVID-19 response. Now, as some have said, there are a thousand new cases of COVID, with many of them in communities of color over the next few weeks due to the protests. Was it worth it? Well, many of the communities of colors have voted with their feet. Protesters are balancing competing risks to their communities of the COVID-19 police violence and centuries of systemic racism, which led to declining but still large gaps in life expectancy, health and wellness among African Americans towards their white counterparts. This is without balancing competing rest of communities, understanding that the protesters are trying to address general real health risks, including factors that communities at greater risk for COVID in the first place, which some would like to sweep under the carpet. Everybody in the world said it's exactly what the other protesters had. Secondly, compare that to fucking white people who are poor. There is no disparity in health. I guarantee a trailer park in Arkansas with fat people eating fucking pork rinds for a main meal is no different than the hood. But there's no studies on that because that ruins the narrative. Momo, what we really need is more condescending and scolding from people who are bald-faced lying to our faces. That should restore our confidence in them. Trying to imagine a level of inability to read the room requires to construct a dozen tweet threads so utterly full of shit that my 10-year-old could see right through it and do it with a tone that demonstrates he has no clue he just frittered away all claim to authority. Every single successive tweet was like a farewell letter to his credibility as an expert. And yet he still hits send. Because he's clueless. She's right. Vox has rolled out article after article after article. Even if you're young and healthy, it's your job to follow social distancing. Uh, the racist riots, anti-lockdown protests, during anti-shutdown protests, Vox reported who would be most affected. But if states open back up, it will still, it will cool, it will come at those whose expense. And the U.S. black Americans are going to die. Protests during a pandemic is a risk. Many who decide it's worth it because if you live in a red state, you're going to die. 
Then viruses kill you in a church, but not in a protest. Ron Coleman lists of what you must believe in 2020, according to the left, is perfection. What you must believe in June 2020. World War II allies were Antifa. Riots are peaceful. Viruses kill you in church, but not in street protest. Police make cities less safe. Senality in a presidential candidate is fine. U.S. Senators should not be allowed to publish op-eds. Other people took it even further. Rioting is the language of the unheard. Destruction of property is not violence. Silence is violence. If you don't have a vagina, aren't black, then shut the fuck up about sexism and racism. Silence is condoning racism and sexism. Words are violence. Silence is violence. (laughs) Here's another one. Trans women are women. Your tax dollars at hard at work. The science behind NPR takes on Trump rallies versus protests inspire a shot chaser of the day. This is NPR. This is where Yamichi Alcindor and Mara Eliasson come from. President Trump will campaign trail this month despite a deadly coronavirus pandemic which continue to impact the lives and livelihoods of households. The rallies will be tremendous, a campaign manager said. Dozens of puff health, public health and disease experts have signed an open letter in support of nationwide anti-racism protest. White supremacy is a lethal public health issue that predates and cont- cont- contributes to COVID-19. Same day. Same day. Then our other media, social media, GoFundMe stops a GoFundMe Candace Owen was doing for the Parkside Cafe because she said it was because it was looted and burned by the rioters. But there's GoFundMe for everybody, including getting rioters out of jail. As stated, Instagram censored, reinstated FBI crime stats on race and homicide under the guise it was in a violation of its violence term of service, but really it's because it didn't actually say that all black people are killed by police. One of them, 500K black versus white White versus black violent felonies. 85% are black perp white victim. 500 whites are killed by blacks. 250 blacks are killed by whites. Of the 1,000 killed by cops, 6% are white. Cop unarmed black. Cops kill as many unarmed whites as unarmed blacks. That's bullshit because it's 19 to 9 for one year. <clears throat> Other ones. 2013 that showed there were 2,245 black-on-black homicides, 409 black-on-white homicides, 2,509 white-on-white homicides, and 189 white-on-black homicides. One eighty-nine, four hundred nine. Every number, and that's why they put it up, not because they're white supremacists to try to quell the stupid does not fit with Black Lives Matter lingo. It's all lies. It's not based on reality. It's post-truth. New York Times begs Twitter to censor Trump. This is a newspaper. 
damn Facebook employees resign because platform won't censor Trump. That's your fucking New York Times. That's your Facebook. That's why fucking they're editing this shit out of anything that's true from the riots. They backed off on mine. I got those two flyers up. Maybe it wasn't reported. So they fired the Tom Cotton guy and Maria, uh, Mark Hemingway. Today the New York Times ran an op-ed telling people to hold affection from the relatives unless they protest or give money to anti-racism organization. Where does it end? I want racial equality, but I early disdain any person or institution adorning such tactics. Money. To fund that pay legal fees for black people who are unjustly arrested, imprisoned, or killed, or black politicians running for office. Text. To your relatives and loved ones, telling them you will not be visiting them or answering phone calls until they take significant action in supporting black lives, either through protests or financial contributions. Protection. To fellow black protesters who are at greater risk of harm during demonstrations. That's a newspaper. Post-truth. Then my favorite. HBO Max announces Elmer Fudd will no longer use gun while hunting Bugs Bunny and Looney Tunes reboot. That's going to fix everything. It's going to fix everything. We're not going to have any more violence in America. None of it. Zero. Because you fixed it with Elmer fucking Fudd. Which takes us to our This Is America. Before I play the sound bites, a couple articles. Liberal hacks. Yamichi Cinder, CNN Pelosi photo win White House Press Award. Try not to laugh and feel the urge to destroy your electronic devices. On Tuesday, the White House Correspondent Association announced their 2020 award winners while including their insanely partisan Yamichi Cinder of taxpayer-funded PBS, Liberal Hacks of CNN, and the New York Times. In a statement, White House Press Secretary... White House Correspondent Secretary, President Jonathan Carl, hailed their supposed work of journalism. Though They held those in power accountable. The judges called in Cinder, someone who's serious, incisive, and though she has quiet demeanor, tough as nails, while providing interesting new takes on national stories, immigration and race, sensitively handled. Our Cinder qualities reflect integrity and partial analysis, breadth and depth of knowledge and presidency, and a love of institution. We look forward to watching our work for decades to come. Who the fuck are they talking about? She yelled at the president on Friday about jobs report, attacked the Surgeon General, also an African-American, for offensive language, called cover covering Team Trump a Trump a team sport, expressed discomfort at hearing God bless the USA at Trump rallies, and condemned Trump voters as ignorant. And those are just a small set of examples from the past 13 months. The Honorable mentions it hailed longtime swamp fitter figure Peter Baker, the New York Times, someone speaks truth to power, and then intolerably pundit Phil Rucker of the Washington Post for great insight. In the Merriam Smith Memorial Award for Excellence in Presidential News Coverage under Deadline Pressure for Broadcast Category, White House Correspondent had their first place to Jeffrey Zucker, CNN, for being parked out of Roger Stone's Florida home. They gave Doug Mills of the New York Times the Pelosi clap. It was 
a visual representation of the most contentious political relationships in recent memory. The Speaker of the House lets the nation know exactly what she thinks of Trump and she claps without arm stretch, tilting her head with a smirking face. The image brilliantly displayed the tension, the personal animus, and power class amongst the branches of government that tells the story of the time and would be called racist as fuck and disrespectful of the office of the President of the United States. I'm not reading anymore. There's all these awards. What it really comes down to is if you dog Trump really good, you got an award. And you Michelle Cinder showing that she's not, not a real journalist brings us our This is America. George Floyd Neese just said this at Floyd Funeral. Someone said, make America great again. But when has America ever been great? This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. Hello, my name is Brooke Williams, George Floyd's niece, and I can breathe. As long as I'm breathing, justice will be served for Perry. First off, I want to thank all of you for coming out to support George Perry Floyd. My uncle was a father, brother, uncle, and a cousin to many. Spiritually grounded and activist, he always moved people with his words. Their officer showed no remorse while watching my uncle's soul leave his body. He begged and pleaded many times just for you to get up, but you just pushed harder. Why must this system be corrupt and broken? Laws were already put in place for the African-American system to fail. And these laws need to be changed. No more hate crimes, please. Someone said, make America great again. But when has America ever been great? Those four officers were literally on him for nine minutes. And none of them showed they have a heart or soul. This is not just murder, but a hate crime. I share happy memories with my uncle. Now that's all I have, our memories. I still can't pull myself together to how he is calling out my grandma a name. I believe my grandmother was right there with open arms saying, come home, baby. You shouldn't feel this pain. No one should feel this pain. My most favorite memory with my uncle was when he played, when he paid me to scratch his head at the long days of work. <laughs> we arrived at home. We even created a song about it called Scratch My Head, Scratch My Head. Yeah. <laughs> but after that, I knew he was a comedian. He always told me, baby girl, you're going to go so far with that beautiful smile and brains of yours. Mm -hmm. Another favorite memory is when me and my grandmother was so worried. I mean, she was crying. All I remember is me saying, Granny, it's okay. We'll find a way. 
but I wasn't entirely sure about how we were going to get to my uncle's PJ's wedding. We had nowhere to contact anyone, but here comes my uncle busting through the door like Superman. <laughs> I was young, by the way, probably 10 or 11. My grandmother was, always, was also handicapped, and he had this big truck we had to ride in. I was wondering, how was my grandmother going to get in that truck? But he just placed it in the truck like it was light work. I never questioned anyone's strength. But it was unbelievable how my uncle and grandmother broke their backs to always see their children smile and made it way when it seemed impossible. <laughs> Quote, Tupac. I mean, Tupac, I'm sorry, y'all. Changes. You see, the old way wasn't working, so it's on us to do what we got to do to survive. America, it is time for a change. Even if it shall begin with more protests, no justice, no peace. My brother and basically my other mom tells me they saw the time, but God sits high, but he looks low. Thank you, Houston. It's always love in the hometown. Also at that was Moms Against Violence that had to go. They asked him to be there because it was an intersectionality orgy of fucking stupid. And then I missed one. Nature News and Comment. On June 10th, Nature will be joining Shutdown STEM, Shutdown Academia, Strike for Black Lives. We'll be educating ourselves and defining action. We can take a help eradicate anti-black racism in academia and STEM. Science. This is science. And science is based on what? Facts. Not on what you think. Not what a chance sheet told you. Facts. And facts show nothing they're saying is true. White on black violence, cops, none of it's true. So before we end on facts, because it's post-truth was the theme of the show, I don't know what's in this, but conservatives are going crazy and Cuomo got crushed last night. So let's listen to it. And here's the tragedy of the travesty that the president has created on this issue. We have real voter suppression concerns. One is playing out now. Proof. Please put the picture back up. Nobody needs to look at my nose. This has been going on. Georgia's primary, a mess all day and evening. Most of the problems have been in and around Atlanta. Why? That's what we're going to discuss. People waited for hours in the middle of a pandemic to vote. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about exactly that. For some context for people, 2018, 87,000 people uh, prevented uh, from voting. A disproportionate number were people of color, young voters, groups typically favoring Democrats. Georgia uh, has closed 5% of polling places uh, since the Supreme Court invalidated the Voter Rights Act. Most of those are in black and brown communities. You get the point. People are concerned that what they saw today is a reflection of what they've seen before, which is disenfranchisement of minorities who tend to vote Democrat. Your take. Well, the reality of what you're seeing in Georgia today 
is a function of the COVID situation in large part. Uh, we did lose many polling places because it's summertime, so schools are closed. Churches opted out. VFW halls opted out. In Fulton County specifically, they lost 40 locations and collapsed many of those locations into mega precincts, which saw a lot of those amazingly long lines. We said this is not a good idea. You need to find other alternative locations. And those kind of polling closures and the things you're discussing are literally county decisions. They're made at the county level, and the state has zero ability to tell them not to do that, although this Secretary of State has introduced a bill that would require, if there are lines of over an hour at any time during the day, you have over 2,000 people registered at a polling place, you have to split that polling place or supply more machines to do it. Now, what we saw today, too, was, as an example, in Fulton County, my home county, um, at a library, there were 15 machines that were sent there, but the rules of COVID spacing only allowed four voters at a time into those places. Those are the realities. Trying to get poll workers trained, because we lost oh, the majority of our poll workers, the average age is 70. So we lost many of those poll workers. So we recruited, the counties recruited new poll workers that they had to train during COVID. It's very difficult to do hands-on training with equipment when you can't get more than 10 people in a room. But you had the same problem in 2018. We've Chris, you're just incorrect. We've never had these machines before. They're brand new. No, no, no. The machines are new. The problem is not. In 2018, 87,000 people were prevented from voting. A disproportionate number were people of color and young voters. I agree with you that you knew that you had anticipation of a huge turnout. You had to prepare for it. Doesn't seem you did. And it seems convenient that if you're going to be able to not handle the demand, it's nice that you do it in places that tend to vote Democrat. In those, in those counties where people who tend, tend to vote Democrats are run by Democrats, and they are the ones who set the elections boards. They are the ones who hire the staff. We have been saying for years there's problems in Fulton. Fulton County has paid hundreds of thousands of fines for violating election rules. They, it's repeatedly over and over again. You can go back and look, and I'm sorry to say it that way, but we have 159 counties. 150 of them had almost no problems whatsoever, and they all received the same level of training from the Secretary of State. We train the trainers. The counties are in charge of training the poll workers. We're all going to learn from this. You're right. This morning started out terribly, especially in Fulton County, some locations in DeKalb, Fulton, uh, and, and Cobb, and Gwinnett. But for the most part, once we got the, the issues fixed where the poll workers just didn't know how to handle this equipment, the line started moving. At the same time, when you have 400 people lined up at a polling location, only you only allow six at a time in. And all I'm saying, Gabe, is, look, I'm not looking to ascribe animus. I'm just saying it looks. He's told he's incorrect, and he just drives on with the narrative. Post. Truth. There's no voter suppression anywhere. There's no voter suppression. The only voter suppression we've had with Black Panther and KKK. KKK eradicated. Black Panther wasn't during the entire fucking Obama presidency. Multiple examples of Black Panthers at polling booth with bats. And the media covered as protecting This is just a narrative. They want to vote for home so they can cheat. That's what it's about. Has nothing to do with the vote. You won the popular vote. So how in 2018 and 2016 was there voter suppression? 
You said you want to get rid of the Electoral College so you could win. To me, that's a huge voter suppression. You said you didn't want certain states to have two senators. Big voter suppression. All you motherfuckers on CNN say flyover states don't deserve representation. Voter suppression. To the facts. Eight leftist myths about race and racism in America. Racism is the greatest divide in American history. To deny that nasty history of racism in America would be foolish from Jim Crow, black lives were treated brutally, their opportunities withheld from them as moral, evil, and unconstitutional. And racism isn't restricted to black Americans, Japanese Americans, Chinese, Jews. But the left suggests that because America has been replete with racism and bigotry historically, that means that racism pervades American society now. That's not only untrue, it's a cruel lie. Furthermore, we cannot acknowledge the racism that swamped America for two centuries without also acknowledging the central natural law principles that eventually led America to fight against um, racism. To the points. One, all white people are inherently beneficiaries of white privilege. Fact, the left's white privilege narrative is false, used to divide and silence, and promotes racist assumptions. They push a theory called intersectionality, which suggests that we are all members of a broader groups, that our identities and members of those groups make us victims or victimizers, and that we're capable of speaking out on particular issues only to someone more privileged than we are. The privilege hierarchy goes something like this, as described by Damon Linker in The Week, straight white male at the top, then straight able-bodied white woman with straight people of color, of either gender, even less privileged, followed by gay, lesbian, transgender, disabled variations on each identity category, with a hypothetical disabled black lesbian, perhaps least privileged of all. This hierarchy, of course, means that white males should shut up. The system was built to benefit white men, says member of the campus left. The founding fathers designed a government and economic system to protect their own evil interests. This white privilege extends to every era of America life. It's inescapable. You're born into it so long as you're born white. You're born with heavy burden on your back. You'll be truly not be alleviated if you're born non-white, non-straight, non-male. Now, before we go further, it's important to define our terms. It, it is true that black people and other minorities suffered historic discrimination in the United States. It's inarguably true. It's even true that some people are likely still suffering from the effect of historic discrimination under Jim Crow. But that doesn't mean black people are suffering institutional discrimination now. And historic discrimination isn't sufficient to explain current levels of inequality or to justify discrimination against white people. Individuals all over America have different histories ranging from wealthy to the poor. Some people are rich when they're born. Some are born poor. Some have histories of discrimination. Some have histories of privilege. Nobody is capable of rightly wrongs done to people three generations ago by penalizing people who had no part in these wrongs without doing grave injustice. The solution to historic injustice isn't modern injustice. Three generations ago, my people were being slaughtered in Europe, and FDR wouldn't let Jews in the country. That doesn't mean there's widespread anti-Semitism throughout America that requires restitution from the government. In the U.S., virtually all such inequities are results not from historic injustice, but from our culture that embraces poor values. Individual failure in the United States aren't due to an unfair system by and large, but to individual irresponsibility and bad decision-making. George Floyd. He clearly was going in the right direction, and then he got caught 
with fake money, meth laced with fentanyl in his system. Yeah. <clears throat> Myth two, social justice must be pursued. Fact, social justice is injustice. Today, hardcore leftists call themselves social justice warriors. They do this because they believe that individual justice is racist, sexist, bigoted, and homophobic. Individual justice suggests that we each be held accountable for our actions, but the SJWs think that's unfair. After all, we're not individuals. We're members of groups. What if those groups are disproportionately poor? What if they're disproportionately in jail? How can we achieve group justice if individual justice keeps getting in the way? The most cohort... Coherent advocates for social justice is the philosopher John Rawls. Rawls suggested that individual justice wasn't justice at all because it didn't create actual fairness. It only created the appearance of fairness. Rawls believed that undeserved inequities call for duress. Thomas Sewell, Sewell explains, and he's black, by the way, in fight in which both boxers observed the Marquet of Queensbury rules would be a fair fight according to traditional standards of fairness, irrespective of whether the contestants were of equal skill, strength, experience, or other factors likely to affect the outcome. <clears throat> and irrespective of whether the outcome was hard-fought draw or completely one-sided beating. This would not, however, be a fair fight within the framework of these social justice seekers. As the competing fighters came in the ring with very different prospects of success, especially these differences were due to factors beyond their control. The left's supposed hatred of privilege springs from their quest for what they term social justice. Now, social justice is an oxymoron. Justice is by necessary individual. If a guilty man is acquitted because he's the right race, that's anti-justice. And an innocent man is convicted because he's the wrong race, that's anti-justice. White Southerners in To Kill a Mockingbird would have said that Tom Robbins' murder was social justice. Black racists would have said that Nicole Simpson murder was social justice. Social justice suggests that your group identify identity relieves you of individual responsibility. Soul points out the left seeks to quest for cosmic justice, an attempt to overcome all imbalances in nature by violating individual rights and destroying individual liberties. And that is so fucking true. Myth three, talking incessantly about racism decreases racial inequality. Fact, exaggerated focus on institutional racism exasperates racial inequality. Well, we are still facing a struggle with systemic racists. We have to talk about it more. And as a white person, I have to talk about it more and say that we are not post-racial society. We still struggle with racism. It's not only wrong, but it's holding us back. We have to use a bully pulpit when I intend to use to speak out about a systemic racist every chance I get. That was Hillary Clinton. It's obviously true that real instances of racism must be called out and fought, but it is certainly untrue that talk about generalized racism somehow alleviates racial inequality. It doesn't. It merely makes people angrier. First off, constant talk about racism raises racial tension rather than quieting it. In an April 2016 Gallup poll found that worries about race relations have reached an all-time high. 2010, just 13% of America worried about race. By 16, it was 35%, mostly Democrat and black. 12 to 14, just 22% of Democrats worried about race. By 2015-16, it was 37. Blacks, 31. It went to 53 because Obama just railed on it. Did generalizing talk about racism make racial inequality better? No. 2007, the wage gap between blacks and white was 23.9%. In 2015, under a Democrat, it was 267 
As of 2013, the median wealth for white families is 141.9. For black families, it's 11,000. You know what helped exasperate racial inequality? Perception of racism. According to a study from Northwest University, perception of racial victimhood exacerbated stress driving down concentration, motivation, and learning. According to the study, perception of discrimination led to lower grades, less motivation, less persistence, and giving up when you were challenged. It's a crutch. Myth four, diversity is our strength. Fact, commonality of values is our strength. I'm not going to read it because it's a true statement. What we see more like each other, that's why I go back to Game of Thrones and the Super Bowl. They bring us together. It's a commonality. We all agree on something, and it makes us realize we're all the same. Democrats don't want that. They celebrate, separate you into individual groups and tell you to hate the other group. Well, guess what? They win. Myth five. Disproportionate minority poverty is a result of institutional racism. Fact. Poverty in America is chiefly a result of decision making, particularly about marriage and education. To avoid permanent poverty in the United States is not particularly difficult. You must simply follow three rules. This is from the Brookings Institute. Finish high school, get a full-time job, wait until age 21 to get married and have children. American adults who follow these three simple rules only have 2% are in poverty and nearly 75 join the middle class. Fully 71% of poor families with children are unmarried. The poverty rate among non-married white families was 21.7% of 2008. The poverty rate among black marriage couples of the same year was 6.9. The question of intergenerational poverty isn't one of race, but one of decision-making. And it's not a question of racism either. The single motherhood rate has jumped across racial lines, and white people are not forcing black women to get pregnant out of wedlock. Then there's a question of who actually earns in the United States. In color, inherently tied to privilege, why is it, according to the Census Bureau in 2015, the racial group with the highest median income was Asians? Asian Americans kick everybody's fucking ass because they don't spend all day bitching about shit. They work like fucking dogs. Latina families who are successful don't say, I'm treated like a second-class citizen. They work like dogs, value family and morals, and kick ass. The best demographic a soldier I ever served with was Latina, followed by, and wait for it, Pacific Islander. Them motherfuckers kicked ass. Myth six, government was required to end racial discrimination in private business. Fact, government was required to enforce racial discrimination. And this goes back to the 64 Civil Rights Act. We've already legislated everything they're talking about and fixed it. But that's not what they want. More to follow. Myth seven, affirmative action benefits minorities. Fact, Affirmative action is racist and causes higher dropout rates and serious problems in hiring. To the the crux of it, 
There's also a serious problem with dropout rates among affirmative action admittees to college. Let's say a black student performed well enough to get into Duke University, but not Yale. Putting the student at Yale means that instead of flourishing the environment in which the student was earned membership, that student will now be a low man on the totem pole. An article published in Atlantic in 2012, Richard Sanders, Stewart Taylor Jr. highlights some of the ways that this mismatch issue negatively impacted black students. Mismatched black students who got in through a significant affirmative action, are twice as likely to be derailed from pursuing a doctorate. Black law school grads are four times as likely to fail the bar as their white counterparts. Black college fr- freshmen <clears throat> want to go into science or engineering more than white students, but are twice as likely to drop out. About a half of black college students rank in the bottom 20% of the classes and the bottom 10% in law school. It didn't help them because they weren't prepared to get there. And that goes back to your local school. Local issues. And every one of those local issues, from cops to education to policing to fucking social justice, is run by Democrats. Majority white. And last myth. Minorities are turned down for loans at bank because of color. Fact. Banks turn down loans over financial factors. Advocates for white privilege also argue that non-white people are victimized by institutional redlining. Banks reject people because of the color of the skin. There's only one problem with that. Banks reject more whites than Asians, too. And then the government attempt to cram down some prime mortgage loans in order to rectify the supposed imbalance in the economy of collapse. This is the beauty of capitalism. It only cares about the color green. If banks were to redline entire races thanks to discrimination, there are a bevy of other financial institutions that would step in and benefit. In fact, minority groups have routinely created such institution in times of widespread discrimination. As discrimination died out, so did such industries. Nicholas Lass, lawyer at the University of Chicago, says the evidence of discrimination against black borrowers is inconclusive at best. Because it doesn't exist. Even racists want green. But this is a subset of that is, believe this stuff. They have been told from birth, don't trust the police, they're going to kill you. We have to have the talk. The Today Show the other day did what it's like to be a black dad. What is it like to be a black dad? Because as we started, a lot of blacks have four or five baby mamas, and there's no dad in the house. Thus, you have the 11, 12-year-old little yummy who's going out and killing people in Chicago. Thus, you have more black-on-black crime than white-on-black or black-on-white or Martian. It doesn't fucking matter. You have a whole generation of kids that never had two family. Two-parent family. And yet, when you see the two-parent black family... They're usually better than the two-parent white family. The kids go to school, they keep their shit wired tight. Or the generation of blacks that were raised by grandma who took no fucking shit. Just like my grandma. I never had a father figure from the age of nine on. I was rejected by the man that's buried right now that I don't even know. And the stepfather I had, it didn't want us. Try to put my head through a fucking wall. 
My grand my grandparents on my mom's side were fucking alcoholics. My grandfather on my father's side, who I still had a relationship with, the dead one, he had a fucking nervous breakdown at 55. None of that stopped me going out in life and being successful. I was poor. I'm not poor now. I was making over $150,000 a year. And my pension. Before the economy tanked and that business went out of business. But I didn't say Obama fucked me. I didn't say it wasn't fair that they filed a false fucking charge against my company that destroyed it. I didn't say any of that shit. I made all my, most of my money and most of my upward movement under Bush. And I never for once thought Bush got me more money. Well, he got me more money on my military side. And my disability payment. Because I don't look for crutches. And the black successful, Latino successful... Asian successful, Martian successful friends I had and served with, all the same. But this is a crutch. The media facilitate the crush every four fucking years. Well, really every two. Midterms and general election. We go through this bullshit so Democrats can get elected. And it's fucking comical. To watch white people tell you over and over and over and over and over and over, America's a racist piece of shit. Black lives matter. COVID's only killing black gay people. And we need to fund the fucking police department. It's comical. But then you see the result for it, and it's fucking tragic. Because now, not only have they impaired the upward mobility and success rate for African American kids, they've now done it for white kids who bought into this. The system's rigged, and it's super, super dark. Folks, I watched 13 Reasons Why. Parts of it. Season 3 and 4. For the sole purpose to talk about it on the podcast. It's a whole show that the world is dark and ruined and you can never be successful. And why try? Quit. That's all Hollywood puts out right now. Yet, when most of you who are listening to this show came out of high school, we were still in a cold war where you thought the day after was going to happen. And then another generation of you came out and we really had a threat of terrorism. Our country had terrorist attacks under Obama. Quite a few. Now we have a made-up COVID bullshit and Black Lives Matter. That's what these kids have to face. And they're constantly told in their educational system and by Democratic fucking lawmakers that it all needs to be free because it's too hard to do it on your own. Quit. There's a reason I started this show with 
Jen from Colorado's tapes. Those are black people, folks. Successful black people know that's all bullshit. Beyonce, Jay-Z, most everyone in the fight, even Kaepernick, knew it was bullshit. But he knew his skill set was going to crap, so he needed to be popular for something, because it sure the fuck wasn't being a quarterback. He had two great years. And so I'm not called a racist. Same goes for Aaron Rodgers, whose skill set is tanking like fuck. And what does he rely on? Social justice warrior. That's what he relies on. It's criminal. It's post-truth. To push all this, all of it be factually wrong, and for scientists with the COVID bullshit, and for our media to continue to push it, it's outright un-American. And that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP Podcast gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Pocket Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and Downcast. Make sure you check out the Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. Once again, the Facebook page is gone. They're just editing the fuck out of it. Our next podcast will be the 16th of June, year of our Lord, 2020. It'll be an afternoon show because I have my doctor's appointment. Until then, make sure you disconnect from the TV. Don't watch that shit. Enjoy time with the family. If you choose to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't, don't. But stay safe and tune in Tuesday for another show. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride makes every day count. Shine as that is criminal and broken.